If brains were dynamite, Tony Khan couldn't blow his nose, but he can blow his ratings. And Vince McMahon wants $9 billion for the WWE, and it goes up on eBay Tuesday morning. And joining me to talk about all this and more, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the man who's currently offering the Arcadian Vanguard Network for sale for $12.6 billion. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. And uh, that sounds a bit low, but, you know, if you want to talk, we could talk. And well, you're, you're, motivated. Mention- you're a motivated seller. Swami's barking. You don't mention Swami anymore. He's barking in the background right now. Maybe that's because, why. Well, because you keep every time I mention the dog off air, you keep screaming for the dog to shut up. I say, well, there's the... The, the faint barking of little Swami, and you go, shut up, Swami. I'm afraid you're going to traumatize the poor thing. First of all, it just so happens that when we record happens to be around the time that the mailman comes, the UPS driver comes, the FedEx driver comes, the laser ship driver comes. They all come within this, like, two-hour they window. They all come. I, my mind went instantly in the gutter. Within this short window, they all come. They all come. At your house. And Swami goes crazy when they come. And, well, you know, you ought to be thanking the dog. That's a watchdog for you. I agree. When I'm not recording, I completely agree. When I'm recording, I'm like, why can't someone out there shut the dog up? What happens if the Shiites come and and invade your home while you're... I don't even remember what the Shiites were, but there was a... But Ricky Morton was afraid of them. There was, well, there was, there was a story, there was a few guys that was <laughs> on a certain substance in the 80s that closeted themselves up in their home one time looking out the windows because they were afraid that the Shiites were coming to take them away or something like that. But anyway, the, the dog is taken up for you. What happens if there's a threat something like that. while you're recording? Uh, if there's a what? threat while I'm recording and Buddy yes. Landell's not here with me partying, what do I do? <laughs> Uh, if it's the back of the house, I'm not worried. If it's the front of the house, yeah, I just got to wait till they get to the back of the house. No, what I'm saying is you want the dog to bark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even if you're recording. If there's a goddamn a threat of imminent danger, a home invasion, they're at last manner. And then, and then Swami will bite them all on the ankles. My issue, the other problem is it's actually not all his fault. For whatever reason, whenever stuff gets dropped off, like the Amazon person will just sit in front of the house for like five minutes. They put the package on the doorstep. And then I guess like they're waiting, they're figuring <laughs> stuff out. I don't know. Oh, you. But he barks the whole time. You naive young boy. That package, it's only a ruse. It's only a cover. You know who that is sitting out in that van, that unmarked panel van with Missouri plates. 
That's that's your internet service provider. They're checking on the guy that's living inside your walls. Not that's how they do it. It's been a while since we visited well, your I, conspiracy theories about how I didn't realize you thought that that was technological a infrastructure delivery. works. <laughs> why, why do you think you never remember ordering whatever it is they drop off? No, I always remember ordering what they drop off. Is this well, what see, happens then, to you? Is this what happens to you? There are sometimes people just carry things into my home and go off to another part of the house to set them down and they come back. Sometimes there are three people go in, but only two come out. I don't know. I don't know what's I'm just telling you, you got to keep an eye out. Who opens the door for them? Well, I do. So you welcome I, them into your house. Yeah, but well, because they've got uniforms on, they're obviously official. What kind of uniforms do they have on? Well, sometimes they're overalls, and sometimes oh. they're they're like jumpsuits, orange jumpsuits. Sometimes they have numbers across the chest, right at the breastplate there. But nevertheless, you know, I'll tell you, it's been crummy weather. Just real, real briefly, I want to bring people up to date on the weather. 75 degrees here in Louisville, Kentucky in the middle of February on Wednesday, which was an all-time record high for the date going back 130-something years. Thursday, the next day, it rained two inches of rain and stormed and lightninged and thundered most of the day. And it snowed on Friday where the high barely creeped up to 34 degrees here at the castle. So, and we're going through it all again next week. Next week, it's going to be 70 degrees, and then we have storms, and the next week, it's fucking 30-something. But you know what? I haven't told you this story yet, because this was going to be a, well, it was a big deal, but it was a bigger deal than I thought it was. But uh, this past week was Valentine's Day, and obviously, the thing that everybody does on Valentine's Day is they go out to dinner with their betrothed or their beloved or their fiancés or financiers or whatever the case. And it's a horrible night of the year to try to get a reservation or good service at a restaurant because they're all jammed, they're all packed. It is, it's just chaos, right? And so me being smart, being an intelligent guy, I told Stacey, this year, what we'll do is we'll have a Valentine's dinner at home that we'll cook ourselves on Valentine's Day, and then I'll have reservations at that wonderful restaurant that we had our anniversary dinner at in downtown Louisville, Brendan's, for the day after Valentine's Day, when there'll be absolutely nothing going on because everybody's gone out and shot their wad, as they say, on Valentine's night. So it'll be a ghost town, because that's the way I, you know, I like a lot of room. I get to claustrophobia. I don't want people on top of me even before the pandemic. I don't like crowded, congested streets and traffic and problems with parking. And this is going to be so easy, Brian, because there is a hotel right next to the restaurant that has valet parking, and we get, you can buzz right up right in front of the fucking door of this place and drop off at the valet and, and walk right in, sit right down and whatever the rest of the words are of that song. And it's just easy peasy pumpkin pie, right? So that's what we're going to do. And that's what we do do. I said, do do. So Wednesday and the reservations are for six forty-five, so that we can have the, the big meal. And I know we're going to have and still get home in time for me to not be up past 10 o'clock because goddamn, I'm, I'm old and 
I need my sleep. So we go down, we leave, and we're past traffic time on the way to downtown, and oh, this is going to be easy. And as soon as we get off a third street exit and come to the light, every street that we can see up the hill is jammed, and there's people with the 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 glow sticks waving people into the parking and waving them through the intersection. You can't even use the red lights. They're going to determine when you can stop and go and all this stuff. And what the fuck's going on? I said, is there a some kind of game at the arena, the Yum Center? Almost throw up a little bit when I say that. We went from Freedom Hall to the Yum Center. Even as a company name, it's just such a stupid just, name. Yeah, it just yeah. But and and so Young stupid brands. that they've got seventy four billion dollars. So fuck those guys. But anyway, well, not because of their branding, not because of their well, no, they had seventy four billion dollars because of the food that was created before they decided to name it all yum. Yeah, exactly. Nevertheless, I'm like, what the fuck's going on with all this? There's got to be something at the. Well, we're gonna be a, we're gonna be down here, and it's got if it's going on, that won't affect the restaurant. So finally, we navigate around all this traffic, and we finally, and go. you go down 4th Street, it's very narrow now, because there's part of it, 4th Street Live, it's blocked off to vehicle traffic anyway, and the rest of it's very small, because it's all the attractions. But we get down there, we pull right up in front of the hotel, and I signal the valet guy, and I said, hi, we're valeting. And he said, uh, are you registered? I said, no, we're just going to Brendan's. Oh, we can't. I said, well, the last time we were here, he said, oh, normally we can. I said, but all of our valet spots are full. We've only got 250. I said, what the fuck's happening around here? He said, oh, it's the farm show. I said, what? The farm machinery show. Now, I should back up and explain to everybody that living in Louisville, Kentucky, I know that once a year out at the fairgrounds, they have a farm machinery show. And from what I've been told and absorbed through hearing it on the news and or just being around this town for so long, many people like to come to the farm machinery show and look at the farm machinery and purchase the farm machinery and show off the farm machinery and I'd, for all I know pleasure themselves while riding the farm machinery. I knew that they had one, but if you'd have held a gun to my head, I wouldn't have been able to tell you the time of year that it takes place because I don't give a fuck about farm machinery. But apparently, on this particular year, it's the goddamn four days after Valentine's Day, and downtown is jammed. And they can't, and uh, their their parking is full, and that's part of the Stace can't walk long distances because of her back and the treatment she's having on that. So this is going to be easy. Oh, you can just go right around the corner and park in the garage behind the uh, seal back, I think it was. All right. So we go around the corner and pull back in this alley, good God, and up this ramp that looked like a fucking water slide. If I'd have driven Black Beauty, I wouldn't have been able to get up the thing. And, uh, park and walk through the thing and around the chase the cat that ate the rat and finally get to the restaurant and go inside this restaurant and it's fucking jammed. And this is one of the higher end restaurants in town, but apparently it was all the farm show 
clientele because every adult male was either wearing a baseball cap, a cowboy hat, or overalls. It looked like the fucking national gathering of the Junior Samples fan club. Google him, kids. It's hilarious. So, oh, Jesus, but we have the reservation, and the lady that took care of us last time, Eliza is her name. She saw us, and and, and we had her there at, uh, to, as one of our servers at the table, and they gave us the booth right there that we saw that when we first came in. I said, boy, it'd be great if we had that booth. And that's exactly where they put us. And that's exactly where we sat for the next almost hour and a half before we got our appetizers. Oh, my God. Because, and I mean, this, I'm not complaining about the restaurant. I'm complaining about the circumstance. The food is always fantastic. And it was eventually here. And the service last time was impeccable, but this was not only slam, but this wasn't romantic couples like at each table that would have been celebrating Valentine's Day. This is a goddamn, every gathering is four to six to eight to up to ten fat fucking men that are apparently eating, ordering and eating and drinking everything in sight and asking a ton of questions and the servers are fucking all look like they're having a goddamn nervous breakdown and the kitchen is slammed. Were you the most dressed up person there? Yeah, actually, yes, I was. (laughs) And I wasn't even wearing a tie. I had a, a shirt, Long sleeve shirt and a pair of slacks on. And I, w- I, I won't say I was the most dressed up. There were several females there that were very dressed up. It apparently had been on display over at the farm show earlier in the day. But anyway, so then it, after that, and I mean, our poor server again is apologizing and she looks like she wants to, you know, uh, fucking go to the Ohio Bridge and or Ohio River Bridge and take a fucking swan dive. And they gave us some free stuff, but by the time that we sat down and actually got our dinner, it was two hours and 20 minutes before we started eating the main course. By then, things had started settling from the, we got bread about an hour 45 in. It was like, it was like dinner in a raw. It was dinner at the pace of Monday Night Raw, where, you know, you had a little something and by the time you got something else, you were almost over having the whole thing. But the farm show, sabotage is what it was. So I was trying to take the path of least resistance, and I wound up facing a tsunami of popular. And see, that that's my big blowout, and the food was fantastic. But that's my big blowout. Because, you know, I told you about my colon. here. Was it last week I told you about my colon? Yeah. And... And you you were interested, Brian. You know you were. Oh, so interested, yeah. The 30 or 40-something thousand people on YouTube were after this show aired. <laughs> um, who can talk about their colon and get that much interest, I ask you. But nevertheless, I'm going to be nice to my colon. You know, I've... I've Mandy learned... Rose. Okay, all right. Maybe her. <laughs> uh, I learned many years ago that it would behoove you to care for your uvula. And also, at the same time, you don't need to to go bowling with your colon. You need to take care of it, too. So that was my big blowout, and I'm trying to go two weeks without eating any red meat. And I believe, do you know what the record is in my life for going without eating red meat? No. 
I think about the first 18 months of my life, I think whenever the first time that I started eating red meat, since that point, I, I can't imagine it's been a week that I would have gone by accident. You know, maybe one day I had fried chicken, next day you have fish, next day there's a pizza, there's, there's no red meat. I don't know, you know, how I would have, I've never tried to actually abscond from red, red meat. But uh, I was thinking about exercise. I was looking at some of those exercise bikes, but then I ah, fuck, exercise bikes get you nowhere. So instead, I'm, I'm going low carb. I'm cutting out the uh, the red meat for a couple of weeks, eating more of the, the wheat stuff. What? Could you do a meat-free day? Do you think you could do like a meat-free Monday? Well, now let's not just, do you want to inflict that on one our day. listenership or the world? It's one day. It's one day. It goes by quick. You have some other delicious things. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. What, does fish count as being meat free? Uh, it's in the eye of the beholder. So whatever you wish. Well, if that counts, then I, I go, I have meat free days, you know, somewhat often. Does fish count as meat to the vegetarian and vegan? Well, I guess I don't vegetarians know how and vegans people. are different. So. Well, I, I, I don't know what the vegans think is or what the vegetarians fish think. Oh, meat. now you're typing it in. Now I'm typing it in. Is fish meat? <sighs> is fish meat? Fish is the flesh of an animal used for food. And by that definition, it's meat. However, many religions don't consider it meat. There are also several important distinctions between fish and other types of meat, especially in terms of their nutritional profiles and potential health benefits. Well, now that's what that's what the Presbyterians say, but what do the vegetarians say? I just clicked, is fish legally meat? <laughs> what? No, that's, that's not saying. Only if the fish is over a certain age. Well, wait, this is interesting. The American Meat Science Association <laughs> in Zurich, Switzerland, defines meat as red meat, beef, pork, and lamb, poultry, fish, seafood, and meat from other managed species. Whatever that may be. But you always hear meat and fish like it's two different things. So I, but no, what is, is, is fish. Not enough people respect the ocean. I don't know Wait a minute. Mean. Is fish, is fish vegan or vegetarian? Either is one? fish. Let's start with vegan, which we don't even know the distinction between the two. Vegans don't eat fish. Oh! As one of the main types of vegetarian diets, well, that answers that question too, a vegan diet involves abstaining from eating any meat or animal products. This includes meat and poultry, as well as fish and shellfish. Vegans also so avoid... So you, you can't, you can't even, even have a paltry piece of poultry. Vegans also you avoid... Have to be, you have to be selfish with your shellfish. Vegans also avoid other foods derived from animals, including honey, dairy products, and gelatin. What now? The, it doesn't kill kill the cow to give the milk. But it comes so, from a cat. I don't even think it's about necessarily just the slaughter or the, what, you know, the people who it's, object it's, to it's, the... So the reasoning behind this is not even a, a compassionate one, but just you're just depriving yourself of shit for random reasons? Well, there are people who believe that the human body may not have actually been built to absorb cow's milk. That's a big thing out there. What the fuck? People have been drinking cow's milk for fucking thousands of years. What the fuck? 
how the how could we not be built to survive or thrive from drinking cow's milk when that's primarily what children have drunk for hundreds and hundreds of years? I say to you, I, I'm not defending it. Well, you better not. But there are a lot of lactose intolerant people out there, and if you can't tolerate, well, we the lactose, need to stamp out intolerance. Fuck those people. So you, you think they should be forced to absorb milk or absorb I to think, drink I milk? Think we should, I think we should take all those people and put them in, in, in camps or buildings somewhere if, and, and let them spread their intolerance to each other rather than spreading intolerance across us other more tolerant people. Well, hold on. Here's another one. Why do vegans still eat fish? Now, this is, what does this say? Well, <laughs> people who eat fish, if they are considered pescatarian, and are not vegan or vegetarian at all. You may find that some vegans do consider some seafood to be okay to eat because there is no central nervous system. <laughs> there is no what? central nervous system. Oysters are a common controversy here. <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean, it's sound. It's what? just no, the first no, time you hear no. it, it's what? somewhat... What now? You don't want to eat something with a central nervous system? Well, the way that you're putting it now, I don't want to eat a motherfucker with a central nervous system either. As soon as you hear that phrase, it does make it sound pretty bad. It's not. It's not nothing I've ever seen on a menu. Hi, we've now got this ribeye steak that comes from a cow that had a central nervous system. I think these people are thinking about this shit a little too much. I'm going low carb. I'm broiling and baking instead of frying, wheat instead of white, and I'm trying to stay away from the uh, the, the the sweets. Are but there the veg Are there vegetarian fish? Fish and seafood of any kind, just like the meat of other animals, is not vegetarian. Fish is not vegetarian. Shrimp is not vegetarian. Lobster and crab are not vegetarian. <laughs> And eating any kind of animal who lives in the sea, lake, or river is not vegetarian. It's Methodist. <laughs> That's right. I'm glad we got all that straightened out. Speaking of, I'd like to give now some recognition to some people in the cult. Um, over the past week or so, thank you, Joni Aries, out in Washington State. She sent uh, Stace and I a nice Valentine's Day celebratory cake and a nice little package with a card and everything. And in that card, and it was a letter, and you were even mentioned, Brian. Hear that? And I'm going to give you a little bit of it right now. Dear Jim and Brian, I'm still going with Mason from Brighton, Michigan, as logging the most minutes in one year. As you'll recall, we had that controversy, and we believe Mason won. He has the statistics from the company to prove it. 122,485 minutes. He's in the top 0.1% of our listeners. But Joni says, I believe I'm in the top 0.1% for female listeners. I've heard every experience, drive through and... 605 podcasts eagerly await the new episodes whenever they drop you both are very busy individuals so for those of you who complain when an episode is late go fuck yourself these are free to listen to which is awesome and by the way there are no late episodes they come out when we say they come out yes 
Sometimes we don't say when they come out beforehand, but they come out when we determine that they come out. Now, there are certain shows or certain networks of shows. They just shit out shows. We guarantee you this show at this date, at this time. There's no guarantee about the quality of the show. We guarantee you the fucking quality. You can't rush art. That's right. And we are artists. This is our art. Just like today, we don't even know how this show is going to end because we're recording part of it to get some things out there to the YouTube channel and to get the editing process begun before the Elimination Chamber even happens. And we're going to wind up with that by the time this thing's over with. So we, we're like modern wrestling promotions. We, we've started, but we don't know where we're going. Anyway, uh, I want to thank uh, Michael from River Falls, Wisconsin, uh, who sent Stacy and I a real nice card. And he was a big fan of Jay Briscoe's and enjoyed our episode there. I want to say thank you to Michael for the just a beautiful card out of nowhere. Uh, and our best to Jason from Ackworth, Georgia, which was once the hometown of the Bob Armstrong fan club before I took it over in 1977 from Mike Gibson. But um, Jason went through a rough spot, and fortunately, my colonoscopy cheered him up. So I'm glad that I could amuse people by having things inserted up my sphincter. Are your farts back to normal? No, that's, you know, that's another thing I was going to say about that daggum thing. Now I've been trying to eat good since then. And I'm still not back to the the morning Russo. Now it could be the afternoon Russo. And, and, and I'll be sitting there and I'll say, you know, did I Russo this morning when I got up? When I was eating a couple of cheeseburgers, some French fries, and a goddamn piece of cake, every morning I'd get up and Russo first thing as soon as I got up and boom, and I was done for the day and everything was fine. I cleaned myself out, had this procedure, and had been watching my diet. And eating more. Last night I had uh, a salad and corn and rotisserie chicken. And I am taking a shit yet. Did they tell you to expect delayed Russo's? Well, no. They, they the fiber was supposed to give more regular and 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 palatable and amenable Russo's. But it, but it's been all out of whack since then. But anyway, Jason, if uh, if you are one of the people that enjoys being cheered up by me, even if it's my misfortune, and you missed out on the St. Valentine's Day Massacameos celebration that we had to honor the St. Valentine's Day holiday, uh, and a bunch of people did get shut out and complained, so uh, on Saturday, March the 4th at noon Eastern, we're going to offer 80 more. And the last time, 80 went in an hour and five minutes. So all I can say is please jump in quick. I don't want anybody else to be pissed at me. But we're going to do 80 more. That's going to be the last set for the next couple of months because I'm not going to have a time with spring approaching. But again, Saturday, March 4th, noon Eastern at cameo.com slash Jim Cornette. Or you can just go to jimcornette.com and click on the cameo button on the front page and there she became as it was. And uh, I will say anything, as, as we've said, that's not illegal. And if you want me to issue some kind of veiled threats, if I can figure out some verbiage that will not get me in any potential hot water, I'll do that too for you. Or I'll just talk bad about you and there's not much you can do about it. 
Brian, you haven't gotten the, the, your cameo yet for for your next door neighbors for me to officially, uh, uh, you know, announce your entry into the neighborhood. Well, I've been here a while now, over a year, and everyone's very nice, so no need to do that. Well, I'd say you need to you need me to fix that because now after I get finished, they won't be talking to you. You know what? I have a crazy schedule. I don't know if I'll be able to get into that window before the cameos close, so I wouldn't want to deprive the other listeners of all the fine cameos that they want to get for people yeah. that they love or hate. I'm going to talk to your neighbors sooner or later. All right. Um, We got to uh, mention a couple of people um, again this week that have, have passed away. And to start, um, an old friend of ours, and his name may not be familiar to a lot of the listeners around the world or the younger folks, but Brian Bucantis uh, passed away just a day or so ago as, as we record this. And Brian was a member of the group. We've talked so many times on the shows here, and and Brian, you've had, you know, multiple discussions on the six oh five from the archives and et cetera of wrestling history and Detroit wrestling history, and there was a group of guys that were the, the original kind of group of modern smart fans in in the Detroit area that later on became photographers and publishers and. Uh, performers themselves, Gary Kamensack, Gary Mancuso, uh, our friend Dave Brzezinski, Supermouth Dave Drayson, the manager, and and Brian Bucantis. And, you know, there's a, a guy who was devoted a large part of his life to producing a lot of the stuff that people in that part of the country saw in terms of the arena programs, and the the fan magazines taking pictures and the publicity that went around the world in the magazine, especially with the Sheik, you know, being such a, one of the biggest box office stars in the business at that time in the early seventies and mid seventies. So, uh, and I know you, you actually dealt with Brian not long ago on the pro wrestling enterprises collection. And, you know, he, he wanted it to have a good home. Let me just say, a terrific guy, one of the nicest people you could have ever met, and it was an honor to know him and do business with him, and I think I said at the time, I wish every deal I did could be done with Brian Bucantis because he was such a wonderful guy to do business with. He was looking for a good home for Pro Wrestling Enterprise's vast archives, and we had, after you know talking for a long period of time, getting to know each other, we had come to an arrangement, we had a deal, we had a contract, everything. And at the very last minute, WWE tried to swoop in and steal the deal. They tried to offer much more money for what was already agreed upon. Now, the thing that a lot of people don't want to tell you in life is you could always get out of a contract. So if he wanted to, he could have gotten more money from WWE. And that says a lot about what kind of guy he was. He didn't. He honored the deal we had. He told me all about what they were trying to do. And... He wanted to make sure it wasn't just going to be stuffed in a warehouse, that it would have a good home and it would have some care. And for everyone who listens to the wrestling news every single day, that exists today because of Brian Bucantis and just a terrific guy. And if I could say one other thing, because uh, obviously we send our condolences and sympathies to his family, but specifically just the greatest group of guys, him, Dave Brzezinski. Gary Kamensack, Gary Mancuso, just great guys, and uh, send a lot of love to them, too. 
I I told you, uh, yeah, Dave Brzezinski had, had called and left me a message, and I got to get back with him. He's another uh, person I need to call back. But um, I don't know. It was a rib somehow on Brian Buchanan. You hadn't heard about this, but it's probably in your archives. It was either a Pro Wrestling Enterprises publication, one of the magazines or programs, or, you know, one of the other magazines at the time that the Garys shot pictures for. But there was a picture of Dick the Bruiser, and the caption was something to the effect of, and yes, and Dick the Bruiser also did this or that or played here or wherever under his real name of Brian Bucantis. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I remember seeing that because at the time, I honestly knew, I knew what Bruiser's name was because it had been in the newspaper when the Poffos, no, it was before that, when somebody else sued him or whatever, I'd seen that. But I didn't know who Brian was until like a year or two after that, when I, you know, got a little bit smarter about the whole smart fan group around the country and have more heavily into the fan clubs and et cetera. But somebody had to be ribbing him, right? <laughs> yeah, a bruiser. Uh, but what a, just like you said, what a nice guy. And an interesting background, if you really think about it, he started producing a fanzine, Arena. Eventually, he's producing programs. Under the name Stranglehold, he ends up producing Body Press. What started as a wrestling fanzine ended up becoming Arena Publishing. He put out Goldmine for anyone out there who collects records. I mean, Goldmine was the magazine for record collectors, and that was him. And it all started from, you know, going to the Kobo. And like you said, just a great guy, but a very interesting history in wrestling. A lot of people, you know, on 605, we always focused on the wrestling ecosystem. I don't want to talk to a Hulk Hogan. I'd rather talk to everyone around him. And one of the guys that had a very, Brian Bucantis, one of the guys who had a very interesting life around wrestling and dealing with, on a business level, a lot of characters like the Sheik and Dick the Bruiser and great guy, just a great guy. And also we have to mention, um, Obviously, everybody knows our, our attorney and good friend Stephen P. New, and we've talked about him so often on the programs. Uh, and yes, for folks out there, he is indeed a real person. Some people still doubt that anybody that great can be real. Um, but we want to send our condolences to him and his whole family. Uh, his mother passed away this past week. Um, obviously, you know, any time is is not a good time, but in this case, she was not that old of a lady, but uh, she was an accomplished and respected teacher and wife and mother. And we understood, Brian and I have both found out today that uh, every funeral home or every uh, flower shop, I should say, in Gilbert, West Virginia is either sold out or tearing their hair out trying to fill the orders. This is going to be a big funeral. A lot of people know the new family in, in West Virginia and are coming to pay their respects. And, and we wanted to do the same to Stephen and his whole family. That's right. We love him. He's a dear friend of ours beyond the song and, <laughs> and the spots yeah. and everything. We love the guy and uh, we certainly send uh, all of our love to him. And he actually does help people as much as we try to, uh, much as we try to convince people that he's actually a, a a badass with a mean heart, he's really he's a pussycat. I think he helps too many people. He helps as a too matter many of fact. No good deed goes unpunished. 
Um, and speaking of good deeds, our friend Herb Simmons over in St. Louis is doing a good deed. Uh, on May 13th, he is doing a special event for the 64th anniversary of wrestling at the chase. Obviously the program synonymous with St. Louis wrestling. Herb was best friends with Larry Matisic and has been promoting his own shows around the St. Louis area 40 years or I, I don't want to date him. He's still a, a spry chipper young man, uh, but it's going to be at the aviator hotel in St. Louis on May 13th. There's a fan fest at 10 o'clock in the morning. Bell time is 7 o'clock. Stan Hansen's going to be there. Bob Orton Jr., Ted DiBiase, J.J. Dillon, a bunch of names uh, for the 64th anniversary of wrestling at the Chase. We'll remind everybody again between now and then. And um, He was friends with Harry White, I think, too, right? Herb Simmons. Oh, yeah, well, it, it, does the Pope shit in the woods? Are bears Catholic? Of course, if, if Harry White... <laughs> That's usually What's the matter? context it's, it's I think of Harry, yes. Silly question. Yes, of course. they. He, Harry White knew everybody in St. Louis wrestling, and so does Herb. So naturally, they, would have, they wouldn't have just been two ships passing in the night. I just wanted to get the name Harry White on a wrestling podcast in 2023. I'm going to do it every year. Uh, <clears throat> he, you forward. have a yearly streak going like Lawler. Yeah. All righty. Well, now we fulfill that obligation <laughs> for the uh, real quick, I got an email we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Now, I guess it's been Lanny Poffo passing away all of a sudden. Um, and we had some memories of the ICW television program. And I talked about, you know, the the low budget nature and the off the cuff, you know, kind of flavor of the whole thing. And that and Rip Rogers had said when they did their first taping, they talked beleaguered old channel 62 in lexington which was the third station in the market in a three-station market and uh they talked them into carrying the program they did a couple of days of taping where they you know when they started out nobody knew what the fuck was going on they just you know put the guys with coats and hats in the you know first second row or whatever and tell them clap but keep your head down and, and just tried to fill up as best they could and it was always kind of run on a shoestring. This is a letter from Steve in the bluegrass, as he says. I think he's probably still in Lexington, but you never know. But anyway, this is kind of, this was a, a classic example of interacting with outlaw wrestling in those days before it, independent wrestling became a thing. Hello, Jim. And of course, Brian, you're implied. I heard your broadcast reminiscing about Leaping Lanny's passing. I liked your comment, local hanger-on bell ringer smart fan, because that was me. I got smartened up at age 11 when I accidentally discovered my friend's dad, our elementary gym teacher, was a local job guy by discovering his black mask hanging from a clothesline strung across the bathtub. I realized he was the masked invader from parts unknown I had seen, when the Memphis territory would come to Lexington, Kentucky, and he'll give his age later on, but this I th this was before the Rupp Arena days when Jarrett would run at the I oh, believe wow. the either the Lexington Catholic High School gym or Henry Clay High School at one point. But I, I, I didn't got, realize he ran Lexington before Rupp Arena. Yes, he got Lexington. It didn't last because they didn't he couldn't keep the TV. But there were there were cards he ran in Lexington. That was the thing with Saul Weingroff and the Heat. That was the early 70s, 71, 72. Lexington was was running at a high school gym, and 
do an eh at the start, and that's why they wanted to go to Bowling Green for Nick. But once Lexington started doing well, but then see, that was the thing. They lost the TV at some point, and it was dark for a few years because when they went back to Rupp Arena, it was because Lance had been able to convince the program director at WLEX 18 to carry the program. They were an NBC affiliate, so was Channel 5. Based on that success, that's why Lance had a piece of Lexington. So it had been uh, probably four years since they had run out there. But nevertheless, I go back to the email. Uh, the masked invader from Parts Unknown, my recollection was he was usually in the first match taking the loss to an undercard regular. Uh, maybe you might recall someone like that, but since I'm 65 now, my guess is that's a little before your time. Well, thank bless you, Steve. Anyways, being a bright kid, while I didn't yet understand the work nature of the matches, I did understand the athleticism and how falling correctly made the show. You might imagine the surprise of my friend's dad when he discovered me trying to teach myself to take a bump by falling directly on the hard ground. He semi-smartened me up, explaining we need to make it a show before we do the finish. Uh, but it made sense to me, but he actually showed me a few basics of a lockup to a headlock to a go-behind and a hip toss all of which made me a bigger fan. So, I'm in college working as a skinny bouncer at the Library Lounge in Lexington, doing martial arts and also working out at the 21st Century Health Spa, later to become the place where Liz worked, but this is before Liz. Angelo had opened up ICW, and the wrestlers would usually work out at 21st Century, very often the same time I did. So I became casual acquaintances with Crusher Broomfield, who'd later be the one-man gang, uh, Randy, Lanny, Chief Tio, and Tapu, the other Samoans besides Afa and Sika, Rip Rogers, and Mike Doggendorf, who I haven't heard that name in years. Oh, he was wow. an ex-UK football player. wrestled like two or three years, right? I and my other bouncer friends would come out to the TV studios and help f fill the seats, as you mentioned. Uh, and he talks about Lanny recording. Do you remember the... Lanny record that he made, The Policeman is Your Friend. Yes, I have that in his book. The, folks, he uh, Leaping Lanny Poffo released a spoken word poem over the battle hymn of the Republic, The Policeman is Your Friend. And it that's what I was talking about, was he was so babyface. Cheesy babyface. Too ridiculous. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. When we talked about it, it's, it's not just like, Hey, you know, don't do bad things. It's like, the policeman is your friend. I wrote a poem about it. What? Yes. No one wants to hear that. Well, and that's, you know, again, that's why a lot of people, a lot of the guys were in Randy's corner. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Steve continues on. I mean, the guy fans, I should say. Help uh, women Steve cross the continues. street. Yes. Lanny and George Weingroff were tag team champions routinely. Uh, feuding with the Devil's Duo with Jeff Sword and Doug Vines, and later with the Convertible Blondes, Pez Watley, Rip Rogers, Gary Royal. I eventually knew Liz, or just knew who she was, because I was a senior broadcasting major, and she was studying that also. She also worked at the spa and had some classes with my own girlfriend. Uh, my semi-friendship with the ICW gang led, them, led to them visiting the bar I worked at if they weren't wrestling into more recreational visits at a local house in Lexington <laughs> where Randy and others would actively participate. And that's the details on that. But basically he finishes with, here's how I had a four second wrestling career in ICW. 
in late summer of 83, I think, and I believe this was about right or maybe shortly before that, Rip and Randy had a falling out. Rip left town with his girlfriend, Brenda Britton, who had been Randy's manager. You remember Miss Brenda Britton? Of course. She will never drown. <laughs> Rant. Randy was looking for a manager and asked me, because I had a smart mouth, do you want to be my manager? The idea was I would be Randy's personal physician, Dr. Ira Feelgood, with my bag of chloroform, brick, disinfectant spray, baby powder, scalpel, etc. Ira. The, the premise was, because Randy was still a heel, he'd win by cheating, barely escape with the belt, but I wouldn't be so lucky and send him home happy, blah, blah, blah. And he says he uh, considered doing it, but he only had one semester left of school. But they were doing a TV taping, and Randy told me to come down to the studio, and he gave me a pair of trunks, which I actually think were one of the midgets, and a pair of boots, and told me I had a match with Ricky Starr, who was not the Ricky Starr, but a local guy they had then. It's the opening bout, and Tim Tyler, the TV announcer who replaced John Beck, announces Ricky Starr versus Sensational Sonny King for one fall. <laughs> the bell rings, and before we can lock up, Randy runs in the ring, throws me out of the ring, and then he kicks Ricky Starr and clotheslines him out of the ring. At that point, he cuts a promo on Ronnie Garvin, and that's it. So that's my four-second wrestling career as Sensational Sonny King. And that had to be a rib. Also, at the time, because... When did Sonny King make... He was there in 81, right? In 80, Memphis? He was still there in 82. 82. This must 81, have been 81 then. to 82. And and Rip at Miss Brenda left around about that test. So somebody was fucking with Sonny King there. But thank you, Steve, for your... Your missive there about the uh, your four-second wrestling career. And that's the way... ICW is kind of... It was like an outlaw promotion in terms of they had no budget and they just kind of made shit up as they went along. But I'd forgotten also about the policeman is your friend. <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing. So cheesy. But you know, it, it was going around when Savage went to the WWF and his first year there and he won the belt and the blah, blah, blah. It was going around the locker room because in 1983 and into 1984, when they made up with Jarrett and, and Savage and Lanny went to Memphis and worked the program with Lawler. Randy Savage was living in an apartment over off of New Circle Road in Lexington, in an empty apartment with no furniture, just a, a, like a bench and the barbells and a mattress on the floor. And a year later, he's a WWF champion and made $800,000 was the story going around that year. So that was one of those locker room, you know, gossip pieces that it can always happen. What the fuck? From the literally from the outhouse to the penthouse, from being broke and the, and their own company going out of business to being the second highest paid wrestler in the world in a year. Sleeping on a mattress on the floor. Do you know? Do you know what led to that incredible success, though, Brian? The success on the mattress. The success of the success of of Randy Savage becoming a the second highest paid wrestler in the world at that time after sleeping on a mattress in his empty apartment the year before it was it was the it was the brand of the mattress is what I'm going for. 
It was because this, I, I know you don't know about this, but I'm going to reveal this. This has been kayfabe for many years. Angelo Poffo, the, the miser, right? The cheapest man in wrestling didn't like to wash his clothes because it would break the fibers down and you'd have to replace them quicker. Never spent a dime that he didn't have to. He was one of the first investors in the folks that now have become HelixSleep.com. Although that's not, excuse me, that's not true. So no, don't, because, because don't make Randy Savage like that. Randy Savage had the first ever prototype of the Helix Sleep mattress. Now the the most comfortable and and greatest and best selling mattress and most fabulous fabulous thing to sleep fabulous. on ever. He had fab fabulous fabulous. He had the he had the prototype is what he had there, Brian. He had the very first one. And after sleeping on that prototype Helix Sleep mattress for one year, he was ready to go out and be the biggest star in the world. And if the same thing can happen to you, folks, if you get one of these Helix Sleep mattresses and you sleep on it for a year, I guarantee you that you'll be the WWE champion. Either no, that or you don't you'll be guarantee the UFC that. Champion. You can't guarantee any of this. No, you will get up and go kick everybody's ass. You might be an Olympic champion. You might stretch might. Kurt Angle. Might I like might? Well, actually, well, might makes right. So I'm right. And it's all because you're going to get the best sleep of your life with this Helix mattress. No matter no matter what you look like or what your preferences are, no matter whether you're skinny or a big fat satchel ass, you could be the fat lady at the circus. And they've got a mattress that will fit your unique preferences. They've got luxury models. They've got mattresses for big and tall sleepers. That means tall and fat. Even a mattress made just for kids, regardless of whether they're fat. You got fat kids, skinny kids, short kids, tall kids. It's a mattress made for kids. That's right. And how do you, how do you know which one's going to work the best for you and your body? Well, if you're a grown adult, don't get the kid's mattress because your feet will hang off. But otherwise, you go to helixsleep.com. I'm trying to find that here just to make sure I'm right. Helixsleep.com. How could I forget? And you take the quiz. And they'll find your, they'll match you with your perfect mattress in under two minutes. How do you like to sleep? Splayed out on your back, curled up in the fetal position because of the state of the world today, on your stomach, ready to take what comes, whatever it may be. You tell them what you like and they'll fit you with a mattress. And then it'll show up at your door along with a couple of shady looking individuals. Also saying that they'll offer to mow your lawn, but shoo them no, off they because they, well, they're not affiliated with Helix. Right. No, they just, if, if they see the Helix sleep mattress, the box on your front porch, they'll know that you're discerning and have fine taste and they'll be scoping you out for potential later home invasion. So get that Helix mattress in real quick before everybody else finds out that you're of good taste and have fine items in your home. And then you just unbox it. And you sleep on it every night. You sleep every night. You're going to want to go back to sleep again. I know this sounds hard to believe, but folks, I guarantee you this. If you put the Helix sleep mattress in your home every night of your life, you will want to get back on it and go to sleep again. Even if you slept the night before, 
you're going to want to go back to sleep again that night because well, it's that comfortable. For the record, we absolutely think that's what will happen, but we can't guarantee it. Yes. No. I'm telling you that if if you've been off this Helix mattress in your home for 18 to 20 hours, you're going to want to get back on it. I believe I so. You. you can't guarantee it. You can't say guarantee. You could say, I really think so. Well, or, maybe okay. I truly believe this. If, except if you're a goddamn meth addict and you're on a three-week bender and you haven't closed your eyes in a fucking long time. Otherwise, if you're a normal human being that enjoys a nice quality mattress, you're going to want to sleep on this thing every goddamn night. And you're going to want your kids to sleep on it too. Maybe you're going to want your kids to goddamn sleep on the big boy's mattress. You might want to put them on the kid's mattress, but you want the best for your children. And this is what you're giving them here. The Helix sleep mat. Are you anti-child now, Brian? You're, you're not wanting to give your children the best that you can possibly do for them? Uh, you, you've got you, so ridiculous here. I don't even know how to reel this back. What are, what are you putting them on? A fucking canvas bag full of fucking oranges and rocks over in the corner? Actually, for the record, my children have Helix mattresses. Well, see, and they love them. Well, there you go. You got to parade them out here every once in a while. Show them sleeping on the Helix mattress. No. Well, you will if Helix says, because no, there's it... another thing. In every Helix mattress is a programming chip. As soon as you go to sleep, they <laughs> start speaking that. to you. No. No, because that's the no. way you teach the kids good manners. That's not the, the way you, you know, teach kids like good the, You know, the kids lay down on the mattress. They hear from coming inside the mattress, say your prayers. Take your vitamins. Hey, what about it's if inside the mattress, it's the Lanny Poffo voice? Yes, the policeman is your friend. Always sit down quick and buckle up. Yes, wear your safety belt. Use your left and right turn. How do you think children learn this these days? Not from their parents. They're programmed by the Helix Sleep Kids mattress. So if you want well-behaved children, right now, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners because they know you guys know what you're doing. You go to Helix, that's H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. This is the best offer they've made yet, 20%, no matter how much you spend, up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. Train those little crumb snatching rug rats the right way. You'll you'll be raising well-behaved children, and it's a, a boon to society and a a good thing to do for for civic discourse. I think what you're trying to say is get your children the best mattress that you can, something that they will love, something that will be comfortable. Of course, Helix sleep. Yes, and then tell them to fall asleep and listen to the control voice. All right, so speaking of things that'll probably put most people to sleep, what is this I hear about Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang potentially being a free agent or people rumoring he's a... Or after this past Wednesday night's AEW Dynamite, is would he be classified as a refugee if he left that promotion? Boy, after this past Wednesday's Dynamite, did his value to AEW go up? Because they had nobody... I, I, no, I don't really think so. Uh, I think he's, if anything, more trivial than it. We'll, we'll talk about this in a second, but what, what are you hearing through the grapevine and the folks over there 
that are on the Harpo beat over at the Wrestling News about his status. Well, as I've been saying for quite a while, I was pretty positive he'd be the next EVP out the door. Uh, people are now putting two and two together about various things. Dave Meltzer reported that there was a much bigger free agent right now, that was a quote, that WWE sees as a priority over signing Jay White, who's also a free agent right now. Well, now let's face it, that's like being the nicest guy in prison, though. It's not like we're talking about, oh, Savage and Piper are available. Jay White, but go ahead. Well, Jay White's all right, but... Jay, Jay White's all right? But who could be bigger than Jay White? You know what? That that should be his catchphrase. I'm Jay White, and I'm all right. As long as he doesn't use that voice, I think he'll be all right with it. But what could be bigger than Jay White? Kenny Omega. It's now being reported that Kenny Omega's contract has either expired or was due to expire in early 2023. People are not sure if time was added to the contract due to his injury time. He was out for almost a year. And well, both those things could be true in that it, 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 the original contract could expire sometime early this year, but it, the time could have been added onto it because he was inactive. But Tony, does he have a history of doing that? That's almost like, I don't know, running a business instead of a daycare. Well, the other thing is technically if you're Omega and you're injured and you can't wrestle, but you're still working on the video game and managing the women's division and having Riho, you know, in the other room, then you're still working for AEW. Well, but does he have two contracts? Is one an EVP contract? Is the other a wrestling contract? And then the EVP contract couldn't have been frozen or paused or put into suspended animation, chained to the bowels of a slave ship. So he could technically have two different contracts that would expire at different points in time. If, if this, again, if this was all run like a real business, because that would legitimately be what it would be in the WWE. Well, maybe we'll find out what he will be in the WWE. So, but, but here, I said, I was going to address this. Let me ask you that. I was going to wait for the review of this. I, I called one of the shows here not long ago that we watched the plan nine from outer space of, wrestling programs but this wasn't even entertainingly bad it just was depressingly bad sort of like you know slowly watching mold grow but the evps the buckaroos and and harpo with their little gang knock it knock it to fuck off and there was don Fallis and cutlet behind the camera their their contribution to this rotten, miserable television program with absolutely no star power that, that AEW aired this past Wednesday night was a backstage little comedy skit with Top Flight and A.R. Fox so they can have a rematch on the Friday night show that nobody watches. And they did And it was in a different in, time slot, too. Yes. And and they did that in a mock comedy fashion where the comedy's not really funny, but you can tell they're just assing off because they're not taking anything seriously. And so uh, apparently for people who like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people like, but these are the same three nitwits that it drove viewers off the Wednesday night program in record numbers here with that best of seven fiasco. And that was their contribution, was two minutes of backstage comedy with their friends. 
while the entire company out there on national television is twisting in the wind like a fucking outlaw that had been strung up on Boot Hill in the Old West. Hey, whether you like him or not, and we all know where you stand, how do you justify having a former AEW world champion since he's come back be used the way he has, especially when you have so many problems at the top of the card? That's uh, the open questions that I was going to ask. Who, what are the matches that people are clamoring for? If there's the kind of people that like that kind of thing, if there's fans of the Buckaroos and there's fans of Twinkle Toes, what matches are dream matches that, that, that those fans want to see? What are they involved in that anybody is clamoring for? What's the natural next main event money drawing match for old Kenny Olivier? What is the next hot tag team rivalry that could meet or surpass the demand that there was at one time from all the fans for an FTR Buckaroos rubber match? What does anybody want them to do right now? They're in nothing. They're in, they've got their own belts. They wrestle some of their gymnastic friends, you know, on TV shows that on Wednesday night, the people tune out or on Friday night, nobody's there to begin with there. What would you, what money drawing pay-per-view match would you put that in now? Now, some people, Oh, it's a, it would be a dream if they, they wrestled top flight with trampolines surrounding the ring. I'm talking about what would you try to draw money with in a main event or feature pay-per-view match involving any of the three of these guys right now with the rest of the roster in that company that anybody would be interested in to the level of any fucking thing. What would that be right now? Well, there's only two potential things. And let's just also say, obviously, they're going with House of Black versus the Elite, which we talked about them going in that direction. Well, boy, there you go. Top flight and AR Fox to the House of Black. Boy, that's going to be exciting. That's going to get tons of interest. Since we haven't even seen the House of Black on television, unless every time the commercial, the segment fades to black for a commercial, that's really a House of Black blackout. (laughs) We We saw Buddy get beat. And, uh, by Darby. See, by Darby. So, so I, 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 okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I think there's only two potential things right now with the roster there that could make some money. Nothing with Jericho. I don't think anything with MJF right now and those guys. I think possibly if it was actually booked well, and right there is the thing that would cancel <laughs> this Blackpool Combat Club, who, by the way, have no one from Blackpool now aligned with their club <laughs> versus the elite. And of course, the one. The big one, the one that's the big one for the company, would be Punk and FTR versus the Elite. But so many different intangibles would have to go into, would have to be settled, I guess, for that to... Yeah, and and basically that match, I will agree with you, would generate revenue and interest and talk and etc. And... Blackpool Combat Club. and then Just because of the people, and if it was booked right. That's why I threw that in there. Well, but again, then you've got three guys who desperately want to be taken seriously, and Moxley and Claudio, and I hate to group Claudio. He's just kind of the nice guy standing in this group and useless. And you've got three guys who refuse to act, try to act like they want to be taken seriously. 
in the EVPs. So that would be a clash of styles if ever I've seen one. But Hey, can we talk about Kenny Omega in the WWE? Because, you know, if Young Bucks went there, I, I said it without the, if Young Bucks went there, if the Young Bucks went there and they weren't in NXT, if they were on the main roster, we kind of could see who they'd be working with. We kind of have an idea of what they would want to do. It would be different in the WWE confines, but we could see it play out. I could see them working there for a couple of years. Kenny Omega, again, regardless of what you think of him, what other people think of him, what I think of him, he's kind of like Jacob deGrom. Do you know who Jacob deGrom is? I have no clue. He was a pitcher for the Mets, came oh, up, okay. came up like uh, 2014, Rookie of the Year, next year went to the World Series, a few years later, back-to-back Cy Young Awards, the award for the best pitcher in the league, was unhittable was as good as you could be since that time in three years, he's pitched 36 games. The Mets didn't give him a big contract. He went to the Texas Rangers, got a big contract. Season hasn't even started yet. We're in spring training. He's already hurt. If you're WWE, knowing what your schedule is, for main eventers or for people who are on every show, how could you sign Kenny Omega? Do you have any faith he could actually stay healthy and work any kind of regular schedule? Well, I, I agree that's a concern because what is he now, 37, 38? Uh, he is now older than Riggy Morton or Robert Gibson were when I brought them to Smoky Mountain Wrestling as the Rock Express. Oh, well, 39, there you go. So he's a 40-year-old guy. He's got no proven record in their only competition of drawing any ratings, quite the opposite. Uh, they know he's a prickly personality. And he's he's in it for his his art, and if they I've said before if they made an offer for him it would be so the other guys wouldn't have him just to disrupt them and it's a minute expense on the WWE's part, but also two things would happen either they would think that he's a complete imbecile or a lunatic with the way that he thinks and talks and acts and views things. Or conversely, they would give him a nervous breakdown with the way that the WWE thinks and acts and talks about things. And it wouldn't be a pleasant, cooperative uh, collaboration of a relationship. So either one, I, I think it would be entertaining just to see what the the big flame up of whatever description or whenever they... I mean, I, we know he doesn't mind acting like a complete fucking imbecile in public, but when they, you know, do whatever they would tell him to do that would violate some principle of his for his art, oh boy, here we go. I don't think, he, I don't think he could do it. I don't think Kenny Omega would be able to work within the WWE system. Also, the other thing is you're taking a bunch of guys like Dusty Rhodes in a sense, taking a bunch of guys who had power and all of a sudden they're just guys on the roster bunch of guys who did only what they wanted to do next thing you know they're being told who they're going to work with or what they're yeah. going to say and these guys aren't cody Rhodes in terms of what they can go out there and do on the mic so they're probably not going to have the leeway that a paul Heyman or a cody Rhodes or whoever else actually has leeway does how is again for separate from the bucks just kenny omega how is he going to fit into that system how are the wwe fans who love cody in a way that AEW fans didn't how are they going to take the kenny omega's style of talking it's not necessarily conducive to a wide audience 
enjoying his way of speaking and what he's saying. So, I mean, there's lots of things like that. And then who's he going to work with? I, I'll, I'm all for it if they book him and Randy Orton, just so we can get weeks oh, of that, because that'll turn into a disaster. <laughs> but, you know, I think they'll do it because they're WWE, and this would be a big move. And this would be a big shot at Tony, who right now is in the midst of a meltdown about his feud with WWE. I think they'll do it. I just don't know what the value would be for two years, three years, or five years. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think that uh, they would be planning the future around Mr. Olivier. But um, but we'll check back in as we learn more about his contractual status. I'm sure it'll all come out in the potential lawsuit they've still got hanging over their head from CM Punk anyway. But You think he'll be gone before the video game comes out? Wouldn't that be hilarious? If he... <laughs> But what we've heard about how much this video game has cost and all the problems they've had and how long it's taken, if he's not gone by the time it comes out, he might be gone shortly after it comes out. Yeah, again, trust a guy to develop a multi-million dollar video game who has had plenty of experience playing video games. And speaking of people, before, before again we get into the talking about Wednesday night's debacle, People that are better suited potentially to playing video games instead of social media games, poor Tony Khan, is melting down now over, I mean, to me, this is so trivial, that. It, but it's like he's being stabbed in the heart by people that he trusted were his friends, and in the process, he looks like He's 12 years old and he's mad because, you know, somebody else played with his toy with this thing with Ariel Hawani. And does everybody know what I'm even talking about? Tony Khan had a meltdown on Twitter because Ariel Hawani, the noted MMA journalist and wrestling personality, not personality, but reporter, was on the WWE SmackDown show because he's from Montreal and it was Sami Zayn's big Montreal homecoming. And Tony flipped his shit on Twitter, right? Yeah, I mean, this has been building for a little while and there have been issues that were, we talked about him on the show that came out of that interview he did with Ariel Hawani where Ariel really hounded him about everything that happened at All Out and Tony wouldn't say anything. And then Ariel wanted to know why he wouldn't say anything and Tony wouldn't say anything. <laughs> And from Tony's side, Ariel, a former client of Nick Khan, interviews WWE guys, doesn't press anyone about Vince McMahon, doesn't ask is, anyone by, hard questions. By the questions. way, is Ariel successful enough to have an agent? I mean, he's on TV. If you're on TV, you're successful enough to have an agent. I've been on a lot of TV shows. I've never had a fucking agent in my life. So what kind of deal are you looking for? Well, now, first of all, what do you want to do? What do you want We'd to have do? to figure the Monroe brothers into this thing because I want to bring in a whole faction. All right, nevertheless. So Ariel gives the, the WWE the softball questions and appears on their program. To some. Again, you know, it's all in the to eye some. of the beholder. Yeah. Or the or the ear of the behearer, as in this case it That's would be. Right. <laughs> but Tony feels like he was tough on him. The thing that makes it silly to me is. We're talking about Ariel Hilwani. He's a journalist that covers wrestling and MMA. We're not talking about Walter Cronkite. We're not talking about Bob Woodward, for fuck's sake. 
Of course, every, everybody's going to fucking favor the people that are goddamn putting them on the fucking air. I, I don't say Tony should like it, but did he, did he have to so obviously pitch a fit about, it? do you have the tweets in front of you? I have the chain of tweets here and the like, chain of tweets, like you said, whatever you think about Ariel Hawani being used in that position to be in the crowd several times during the show, the man on the street, Ariel Hawani for WWE, Tony tweeting about it made it a bigger issue than it was. Yeah. The first tweet sent 16 hours ago as we're recording from Tony Khan. You're a fraud, Ariel Hawani. You're as legitimate of a reporter as Tony Schiavone. <laughs> Hashtag AEW Rampage. And he did with, he tagged Tony Schiavone's Twitter. So, and here's the thing. If I'm doing my math right, that was literally five minutes before SmackDown actually went off the air that he tweeted this. And he basically, in, in trying to insult Ariel Hilwani, buried and insulted one of his announcers. Well, you're as fucking rotten as this fucking guy that does my television show. Who, by the way, is pretty rotten on that television show. So let's but, be honest, at least he knows it. At least he's admitting it finally for the first time. But to be perfectly honest with you also, Tony did, was a good baseball announcer. <laughs> he actually did real no, sports. And, you watch a lot of baseball? Well, no, he, he did it for years. He had to be pretty good at it. I don't know. I haven't seen any signs in anything he's ever done in wrestling in the last 25 years that would indicate him being any good well, as a commentator anyway. Back, back to the psychological fucking insanity of Tony Khan, of all the people that he had to compare Ariel Hawani to, he uses one of his own announcers to hold up as a bad example. Even if it's true, is that advisable? From what I understand, as soon as that tweet went out, Jim Ross wiped his brow and said, phew. <laughs> but Ariel Hawani replied at 10.43 p.m. last night as we are recording, thanks for watching, old friend. Can't wait for our next chat. Also, don't listen to the snowman, Shivani. You're a legend in my books. <laughs> the snowman. Snowman Tony Khan. Is it snowman because he's melting down or snowman... Like Buddy Landell liked the snowman. <laughs> if, it, if it don't snow, we can go. Um, I don't. That was left open to the to the to the ear of the behearer. And an interpretation on the part of the but. But Tony replied to that just for the record. Fourteen hours ago. Good luck with the unbiased journalism. It's he's a guy that writes about wrestling. Again, we're not talking about goddamn international affairs. We're not talking about Bob Woodward interviewing eight presidents or whatever. We're talking about a guy that writes about wrestling and or MMA, which is its, you know, cousin in the Does respect of hyperbole and et cetera. Does he write stuff too? I, well, I mean, he's a reporter, right? Doesn't a reporter write shit? I don't, I don't listen to Ariel Hawani. I've heard his name, and I'm aware of that he's out there in the world breathing air, but I don't have his goddamn fucking uh, uh, inventory right in front of inventory. His goddamn resume right in front of me. But the point is, again, we're not talking about a, it's not, we're not Howard Cosell here. 
Of course, they're he's going to be biased. He's in Montreal. They say, come rally the fucking fans in the crowd in Sami Zayn's hometown. Of course, he's going to do that. Let Tony bring him to goddamn fucking Laredo or wherever they're at these days and rally the crowd. They'd probably take him down like they took down Doink in Philly. Does it help Tony at all being on Twitter? No, it doesn't. It doesn't help him being on camera, on television, speaking publicly or on Twitter because he comes off sounding like Richie Rich. The the videos, the awkward hugs, the screaming promos, cutting the, you know, or announcing the matches where he comes off like he's always wanted to do this, which he has. And there's no spokesperson for the promotion that in any way looks professional. Tony does not need to be on camera. When Tony Khan goes to the bank, they should turn off the security cameras. He doesn't lend himself to fucking doing himself favors on video. Uh, Speaking of not doing himself any favors on video, you want to talk about this show? Want to talk about Dynamite? That's what I'm talking about. All right. You want to talk about what I'm talking about? We can talk about what you're talking about. All right. This was February 15th, a date that will live in infamy. Where's a goddamn Edward R. Murrow or a Lowell Thomas when you need those people to lead you through hard times these days? The, the, the first 30 seconds of the program was almost the best part of it. They, and, and in their, uh, in their defense, it was very classy and a great thing to do. They aired a graphic for Jerry Jarrett at the top of the program. And uh, I'm not going to spoil anything when I say this. It was the same. Did you notice it was the same graphic and design that SmackDown aired Friday night? It was I actually with didn't the same, notice that. No. With the same pictures. Because the well, I know that I noticed because the picture of Jerry Jarrett as a wrestler behind the modern picture, where he's kneeling and looking up, was taken by me in 1979 in the Louisville Gardens. And before a match he had, by the way, with Wayne Ferris and Larry Latham, with Danny Davis, their manager, Wayne Ferris would become the Honky Tonk Man, Larry Latham would become Moondog Spot, and Danny Davis would run OVW for 20 years. And not one person asked for permission, so you should all get ready to hear from Stephen P. New. No, no, no. Um, but I'm just saying that uh, it was, it was. A, but both companies honored him and used the same graphics. That was nice. I, and it was the same one I had seen on the, the internet also. I was going to say, isn't that something? It wasn't even just those companies, other companies too. You know, to have that graphic on multiple shows in one week, different promotions is pretty interesting. There are times that hasn't happened, many a times. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Jerry, uh, in one respect or another, had an impact on the career of probably, what, 80 or 85% of the people that work in positions of importance in all the companies today, as well as some of the guys that are still in the ring. You know, The Rock talked about what he did for not only him, but his father. So, and anyway, and it it was nice they put that there, and then... The first match out of the gate, and I know we're going to talk about the ratings at the end. I don't know the news yet, but I can suspectify. But the first match was Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Zippy the Giant Pinhead in an eight-man tag team match against Pockets, 
the acclaimed and Billy Gunn with Danhausen in their corner, although he actually, far as I remember, played no part, thankfully. But the acclaimed just lost the world tag team title to a green tag team with a lot of potential. But what they could have done here was get their win back as a tag team against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal because that it, that would would have made sense. I'm not talking about the the goofy interplay that Tony has dreamed up on his YouTube shows. I'm talking about to rehab the acclaims image by having them beat a tag team that can give them a good match, make them look like a million dollars and do a job in such a way as it doesn't hurt themselves anymore. And they already have been hurt by the booking. And that would have been Jeff Jarrett and Jay lethal. And Jeff was there and ready to work after his father passed away 36 hours beforehand or whatever it was. And instead it's got to be this eight man tag team match with comedy and bullshit that helped nobody and again, just diminish the acclaimed, even if they, I know Tony probably reconciled in his mind because Caster got the fucking pin that he had done something for the acclaimed, but no, it don't work that way. Only in minds that are clouded with the medication needed to prevent apparently complete insanity. Because Sanjay's out there wrestling in a, a, a tights and a dress shirt and a funny bright yellow tie and trying way too hard to be a comedy heel because he's trying to get somebody to notice him, I guess. But goddamn, tone it down. And, you know, the, the good part of this match was the heels entrance and the baby faces getting separate entrances and they still rang the bell four minutes into the show instead of the WWE it had been 15 minutes. But the bad news was nobody cared about any of these people, any of the, any angle there may be between these people and nobody cared about most of these people that yes, they still like the acclaimed, but this booking office is working as hard as possible on putting a stop to that. And again, if this had been a showcase for the acclaimed to get a win back after their loss and just say something about trying to come back after the guns have been lovely, but otherwise nobody cared. The people didn't care. Pockets makes anything he's involved with a joke instantly. I know that Tony thinks that for some reason, you stick this little fucking jerk in the in the way of everything that people will watch him because he does he sells merchandise. It gets in the way of what Tony's trying to fucking what he should be trying to do here, which is keep his talent that's over over. And this was criminal misuse of Jay Lethal. At this point, it's ridiculous that he can work with anybody and he's an incredible employee and talent human being. And he's been pigeonholed as Jeff's, you know, tag team partner and little buddy because he was booked into irrelevance before Jeff got there. Why even have Jeff Jarrett wrestling in a nothing match like this when he could go in the ring in a single or a tag with anybody on this roster and there's not one son of a bitch that he couldn't teach something while he was working with them, 
have a good match with them and get them over. And But he can't do jobs every goddamn week and twice on Sunday, so why waste his wrestling appearances when he can't even be in here long enough with any of these guys in an eight-man atmosphere to teach him anything? Why use him in this way in any way? They just had a graphic for his dad on the screen, so he came out, and I was like, oh, what are they going to do? And as soon as you saw that the Giant and Sanjay were ready to wrestle, it was, oh, no. And then you saw their opponents, and... There's no way you could book this match. There's no way you could write this match either horizontally or vertically and not think that it would drive people away, that people would see this and instantly know this is an episode I can miss. This was a major miss. You brought up Orange Cassidy, how much merchandise he sells. Remember way back, like at the beginning when you would kill him, rightfully so, people would say, Oh, but look at how good his YouTube views are for his video. Because people see some freak doing stupid shit. They want to see the video, whether they're a wrestling fan or not. How good are those views now? How many people are going out of their way to see pockets now in videos? I've said it before. This guy has cooled down a lot. This guy's like Doink Decline in the beginning of 95. You can't tell the same joke for three years in a row. And there's nothing else to him. And we've said that from the beginning because you could see it if you had any goddamn common sense and experience in the wrestling business. So it's a one note song that after a while is just going to get on people's fucking nerves. And the acclaimed look lost facially. Like they know it. They know this is not good. And it's been. And and you know what? Here's the thing they're trying too hard on the interviews. Remember, I mentioned it the other day. They're trying too hard. Everybody loves the acclaimed. And. We're the we're the most popular. They're they're realizing it's slipping away because somehow they've got caught up in this fucking thing that's swirling the drain, and they're trying to work harder to compensate, but they're coming off as almost heelish, like telling people how much they're supposed to love them. It's starting to to flip. It, it, but th- this match, I don't know, Sanjay, uh, I, what he's been. Eating or drinking. He stinks. He was, I'm he sorry. Was, he stinks. I like Sanjay. I've worked with him. He has a good mind for, you know, for wrestling as far as organization and helping in the office and with the TV show and production or whatever. But now he's on camera. I guess he's trying to get over by acting sillier than fucking Pockets does. And, I, you know, it, this whole thing was a mess. It was umpteen different matches. Jeff and Jay were trying to lead something at some point with a little heat on Billy Gunn. And again, Jeff and Jay could be a good tag team. They even had uh, semi-matching attire and look like professionals. And that's the kind of heel tag. When the Midnight Express was moved down to mid-card in WCW, and it was the idea to have the good match on the card and put somebody over. That could be them. At least at this point, it would be regular, but nevertheless. But they had a couple matches, because remember, I've not been a Jeff Jarrett fan, at least the idea of him being in there. I think he's really good in the ring, but it's not about that to me. But they had a couple matches in a row, and it may have been the acclaimed, I don't remember, where I was like, man, this is really good. Other than Sanjay and the Giant, who were useless, yeah. Jared and Lethal and they were getting the crowd into the match. Since that time, I don't think I've seen them in one tag team match. And then they're out here for this. They just put a graphic up for the guy's father. And then they have him come out to be one of the many heels 
in a forgettable throwaway match to open the show. Makes no sense. And anyway, so people didn't care, and nothing happened in the match, and nobody likes Zippy. That's pretty much... What'd you think of him in the ring? Well, when Pockets went to give him the Superman punch, and Zippy's supposed to catch Pockets' hand (laughs) because he's a giant, and he fucking missed it, and Pockets had to hold up, and then they bobbled for it. I fast-forwarded the finish. They beat Sanjay with a leg drop to the nuts, and everybody scissored each other. And this is the way they started the program. And they have made me sick of the acclaimed now. I was as big an acclaimed fan as anyone. They've made me sick of the acclaimed the way they've been used. It ain't looking up. But speaking of looking down, if you look down, you will see the next contest. This was apparently a Texas tornado match for the reason that they were taping in the state of Texas. Did I miss, I know there's some backstory that happens on YouTube or on Dark or somebody says something mean about somebody on Twitter. But have I missed any meaningful explanation as to why that two teams that have never faced each other before ever, including one team that has never teamed up with each other before ever, should jump into a Texas tornado match, all four guys in the ring, no disqualification, lazy booking. Isn't it beyond lazy booking? Lazy booking is when you do a no DQ match in a program where the guys are actually doing something together. This is just out of nowhere. Again, you know, when fans with too much time and energy sit in their basements late at night in their teenage years and make up dream matches, This is kind of what you get. Hey, can I say something? Please do. Not to take anything away from what Claudio could do in the ring. I like Moxley when he would come out with Kingston a lot better than when he would come out with Claudio. It fits so much better. Well, they're they're the odd, they're Felix and Oscar. You know, there's Moxley spitting and smoking and bleeding about, and there's Claudio with a whisk broom and a fucking... Swiffer trying to clean up after him because he's nice and polite. It does it. it the whole Blackpool Combat Club thing yeah. didn't work. Doesn't work without Regal because he's nice and, and polite. Maybe she go write a song and, about a policeman. Yeah, and that, well, and these two have nothing to fucking in common with. But Moxley and Claudio are a team, and their opposition is the Latino superstar Rush, and Roosh. his partner, huh? Rush. You know, you better check into that colonoscopy, too. You've been having those spells here lately. (laughs) And his partner was Preston Vance, who apparently, as far as I can remember, was the big goof wearing a mask with tin written on his chest in Sharpie in the dork order. I think that was him, right? They took his mask off, what, four, five, six months ago? We haven't seen him since. I must have missed it because I just read a review somewhere that was talking about this match, and they said that he, I guess, took off his mask. There was some kind of angle with him and Brody Lee Jr., and I don't remember any of that. So I don't know what they did with him. But it, was- I mean, it happened on YouTube or in somebody's home movies at their birthday party in the backyard, but nevertheless, so that's the match we're getting. A Texas Tornado. It's not a Texas Tornado death match, by the way. It's a Texas Tornado match. As we know, Texas Deathmatch, Falls Don't Count, 
No time limit, no disqualification. Match continues to one man can't answer the bell. A Texas tornado match is where all four can be in the ring at the same time. It was a Texas tornado tag team match. Do you need to call it a tag team match if it's a Texas tornado match? Or should well, you? No, because you can't have a Texas tornado singles match by the nature of it because both guys in a singles match are already already all in the ring. So the idea of the tornado match from the dawn of time was that every, everybody in the match would be in together. There's no tags in and out. But it, even then, I've seen a bunch of those that weren't no DQ because then you're putting a hat on a hat. But nevertheless, so Moxley is coming through the arena. They're playing wild thing. His entrances get longer, but since the alternative is his matches and everybody in the arena is singing, wild thing, okay, I'll watch him walk around. It's more entertaining than watching him wrestle. But suddenly, Rush and Preston Vance attack Claudio and Moxley in the middle of the arena floor, and they start fighting in front of the bleachers. And at this point in time, they, well, we'll be right back. And they go to a break when the fight starts on the floor. But when we come back from the break, they're still on the floor. At least they're around the ring now. And as I wrote down, it's a Texas tornado match, all four in the ring. Why? What happened to cause this stipulation? Who the fuck is Preston Vance? These are the things I was jotting down. And then I remember, oh, wait, Preston Vance. He was the tin fella. Not the tin woodsman. The tin guy. Tin horn is what he... Anyway, they start getting some heat on Moxley and Vance looked confused and Rush at one point wasn't paying any attention. And Vance had to go over and say, hey, hey, come over here. Let's do this spot we're trying to do. Moxley's trying to call shit from the corner. Claudio's on the floor somewhere. Then Claudio jumps back in and makes a comeback. And Moxley slides two chairs in the ring for no reason. And Claudio gets the chair and stands there holding it looking because Moxley didn't tell him what he wanted to do with the fucking chair. And Moxley chases the manager around the ring while Preston Vance is sitting there and staring at everything because he's lost as fuck. You could tell on his face. Nobody knows what the fuck was going on. It just, things happened. And then, did you see Moxley tried to give the old fabulous kangaroos boomerang to rush into the barricade out on the floor? Did you see that spot? I saw that spot. I saw how it ended. Well, Mox doesn't know how to give it. I've, Rush looked like he was trying to take it, but since Moxley didn't know how to give it, Rush, instead of going up and over and into the barricade, just kind of fell over sideways in a heap. What Moxley did was when you hook the fucking legs under your arms, the, guy, the front of the guy's boots, his shins, need to be under your arms. And you need to stand him up as straight on his head as possible before you start falling backwards. Because if your knees don't get above his ass cheeks, or below, I should say, since he's upside down, if your knees don't get to the small of his back, when you go backwards, he can't come up. You're bending his knees. You've got to get under his ass, not under his thighs. Moxley barely got under his thighs and started going before the guy was even set. And 
he he squatted for a minute over Moxley like he looked like he was trying to take a shit on him in the woods and then just fell over sideways because he couldn't get any more momentum up. Anyway, after he did that, Moxley got back in the ring, made sure he was facing the hard camera, flipped the double bird, and mouthed, fuck you. I would find this sorry sack of shit into the poorhouse. If he, no, I, I wouldn't actually because he wouldn't work for me to begin with. I would never hire this fucking guy. He's nothing but a detriment to their fucking television program in every way. So then they went all back to the floor and the heels whacked Claudio with a chair and turned the table over with him underneath it and they went to another break. And they, good God, this wouldn't end. And they came back. For, during the break, of course, Moxley now is bleeding like a stuck hog. At least he didn't do it on camera this week. So then old Preston Vance gets a logging chain. I mean, this it was a chain match chain. It had to be eight feet long, and it's huge lengths, and wraps it around his fist like they used to use the old dog choker chains. Wraps it around his fist and got on top of Moxley and started hitting him over and over with the fakest looking pussy punches that were ever thrown in wrestling to the point where I heard the fans start groaning. That wasn't a boo. It wasn't an, it was an awe. And you can't do that anyway, because God, if you used a chain that big, it would break your hand as well as bust the guy's face open. But then Claudio came back in, and he made a comeback and got the chain, and he wrapped it around his fist, and I, even though it still fake because it would have broke his hand, he threw some punches with that chain. It looked like Preston was trying to get away from it. And then Preston Vance gets color. So now, if blood was to have any impact in a major main event angle, which it usually does, and oftentimes when there's not blood in something like a major main event angle, there should be. But after everybody's seen it from some fucking job guy that's never going to fucking be featured again probably on this program, and this fucking balding shit-looking motherfucker that bleeds every week. I'm so frazzled, I can't form a cogent simile. He looks like a goddamn homeless bum under an overpass with his filthy clothes and his rude demeanor and his balding head and his lack of any physique whatsoever. He thinks he's goddamn a cross between Terry Funk and Bruiser Brody. And he bleeds every fucking week. And the girls bleed. I can't wait for an announcer to bleed. Now they're just all, everybody on this program and everybody on this roster is just cutting their head for the sake of doing it. Cause it means nothing because everybody does it in, even in shit that means nada like this match. And then after that, everybody hit everybody. And then everything came to a halt. And then they got in a four-way, and then the manager, Jose, just came in and hit Claudio with a chair. And then here comes Wheeler Useless, and he jumps on Jose, the manager, and guess what they did, Brian? Do you remember what they did? Do you remember? Do you remember? They fought off. They fought off. And I wrote, will this ever end? 
And I started fast-forwarding at that point, and finally Moxley tapped out, surprise, surprise, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Preston Vance. And again, I, I wrote the jeans, the torn T-shirt, the bald head, the bloody face, the frumpy boots, the homeless bum, the potty mouth. He's got Tourette's syndrome when he gets on television. And then in the back, while the baby faces allegedly are standing there to the indifference of the crowd, the butcher and the baker attack hangnail Adam Page, who was watching this match on the monitor because he's still very upset at John Moxley. Very upset. Only I think there's going to be a fight in the locker room between Moxley and Page. And then the dork order come out in the pre-tape and run the butcher and the baker off, and then they go back to the ring where Moxley is still standing in the ring flipping birds to the camera and imagining and fantasizing and pleasuring himself that he, in his mind, that he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Your thoughts? I think Moxley sucks. And I've said that for a while. He's my least favorite guy in AEW. His matches are terrible. He bleeds all the time for no reason. Who's had it easier in AEW than him? Doesn't have to get a physique. Gets his wife a job. Gets Tony to hire other friends like Soraya. Doesn't have to put in any effort seemingly at times. Gets time off in the middle of a major main event run because he has to modify his personal behavior. Hey, that I don't have a problem with. If he has a real problem and he needs to do something, do it. But I also remember hearing that he was going to take a vacation and he didn't because of All Out. You know what? Take a vacation. Take a vacation. Get off TV already. Let's stop talking about Moxley because you know how I feel and you feel the same. All right. What the fuck is the Blackpool Combat Club at this (laughs) point? I'm being very serious. Is Danielson a member still? Is Yuta well, the Brandon Cutler? Like, what is the Blackpool Combat Club? And no one is from Blackpool. You know what they need to do? They need to bring Pip Sabian in <laughs> and make him the coach of the thing and change it to the Liverpool Combat Club. Is he from Liverpool? I don't know, but who cares? Who knows? Who knows where he's from? His own mother doesn't know which womb he came out of. How would anybody be able to say, well, you're lying. He's from Manchester. What, now, can I just say one more thing? Whatever we think of Moxley, AEW fans, by and large, at least the ones in the arenas, have really liked him. I think they like the song more these days. I think there's a lot of wrestlers you could say that about. But like everyone else, does Moxley seem as big, as over, as popular, as special today as he did a couple of years ago? No, he's been put in a group, and the group was unfocused and then lost its mentor, and then he was put in a rivalry with another baby face, alleged baby face, but still acts like an asshole to them. But fortunately, that other baby face, Paige, is nowhere near a strong baby face, so he's a weasel, and people can pick sides against him also, but it just confuses the issue, and then they all they want to do is cripple each other. So, boy, I want my kids looking up to heroes like that. So it's just he's been marginalized, trivialized, and taken the bloom off of him by being booked like a 
fucking idiot like everybody else on this roster. Hey, I think part of it's Tony, but part of it's Moxley. Moxley's one of those guys that gets a lot of his input. That oh Tony, yeah, Tony listens. No. To this is Moxley. This is Mox- remember we we've said he thinks this is good. It's not good. It's terrible. I know, but he thinks it's good, so he's on board with it. He's one of these guys that idiot. He needs WWE supervision. He yes. needs them to say, "Here's what you're going to say, and here's I what you're going to he do." I think he needs an. I think he needs an ankle bracelet at this point, Moxley. <laughs> much less the supervision. But let, let moving on with the program. Jim Ross showed back up. He still works here. Nice to see him every millennia or so, but he's doing a sit-down interview with Wardlow. And remember, because J.R. and Mick Foley made magic 25 years ago, then they thought, okay, well, we'll do a sit-down interview with J.R. It'll make him a star. Problem was, I don't know if you specifically paid a close enough attention to notice or you just thought that Wardlow can't tell a story in a clear and concise manner. I think, but uh, the editing of this brought to light that Wardlow couldn't tell a story in a clear and concise manner. The He was talking about his split with Samoa Joe at the start. That was going to be the topic. And then suddenly you could tell that there were jump cuts because they were having to try to piece this together potentially in what time they had allotted for it, two minutes or whatever. But you can tell he told a much longer story because he was, his syntax and his verbiage seemed to refer to things that you didn't hear him say just previously. Uh, But it was a story about his father having cancer just as he started in wrestling. So he grew out his beard and his hair in honor of his father because his father would have lost the hair because of cancer. And then when Joe cut that, cut his hair off that took it that away from him that connection with his father and joe knew the story and joe knew the story because they'd been partners that what that's a there's a good story in there somewhere but apparently neither wardlow could tell it succinctly nor they had time to give him enough multiple takes to do that or it was a rush editing job or they edited it in a mix master because the whole thing needed work it wasn't clear and, and and concise as it should have been. The point was, you were, if you were trying to follow it, you may have got the point, but also Wardlow needs work on his speaking, and he tried to finish strong by looking directly at the camera, as we've mentioned people should when they're talking. But in this case, it was the, the delivery and the tone he was trying, he was forcing, it looked stagey. And really all the JR asked the opening question and then it was just sitting there staring at him. There was no back and forth interplay. It, the, there was a glimmer of a story in there, but it needs a lot of work and it still doesn't explain past the point that Darby Allen had to win in his hometown. Why that the whole thing, if Joe scalped me, and took away the connection with my dead father who died of cancer, and I grew that hair in his memory. If that was going to be the story, how the fuck did Darby Allen sneak in the next week and beat the fucking heel for his belt for a, the next four weeks? <clears throat> Help me. I thought he was too warm and happy during parts of the story, especially considering how he tried to turn the switch at the very end. A lot of people really like this. I think similar to what I think you're saying, I like the concept and I like where the story could be, but 
I didn't like the way this was produced. It needed work. He um, needed. He needed. I mean, he needs work on on his speaking. Yeah, and that's that's not a horrible thing because they've never let it. He's been there three years now. He's barely done any of it. Again, this is all they're they're trying to do stuff with guys now that you're already used to. When you get used to something, it's hard to get people to look at it or them in a new way or have more appreciation or fascination or even recognize. Brian, what color is your front doormat? I'm not sure. There you go. Because you see it every fucking day. <laughs> and it does. It is, it, you get used to it. Once people get used to something in, in a certain place or ranked in a certain position, or have the per certain perception because that's what they are, then all of a sudden you expect people to change that. It's not that easy. But I just hate, I hate the fact okay. that he's supposed to be like an animal or a killer, you know, a road warrior, whatever you want to say. But like to me, there's a way to tell this story without him seeming. I mean, he's been wearing cardigan sweater. Like just, just weird things with yeah. him at various points where the cover of GQ magazine. Or, or he's a very polite, out-of-control monster. Or, you know, the, the people liked the fucking powerbomb symphony. And it, it shouldn't have been a hard goddamn uh, formula. Powerbomb people like that on television, be a man of few words, only a top heel with help, gets the fucking guy down and gets some heat on him. And he comes right back and starts a march to get even, uh, beating people and, and or making an impact physically in quick fashion on TV leading up to a pay-per-view match, blah, blah, blah. Instead, we got... He was mad at security for a while. The next match is the one that got to me. Josh Woods against Mark Briscoe. And Woods had Sterling, the lawyer, and Tony Nese and Arya Davari, Sean's brother, in the corner with him, and there's nothing the matter with that. And I'm not going to knock Josh Woods. He's an ex-MMA guy. He's the guy that I managed in my last match as a manager, by the way. Did you know that? You've said that before, yeah. At WrestleCade uh, several years ago. Uh, well, not the guy that I managed, but the guy that I managed against. when Dan I managed Severn. Dan yeah. Severn. I said that wrong, but you knew what I was talking about, so you didn't call me on it. But I managed Dan Severn against Josh Woods. He's an ex-MMA guy. He's been working in Ring of Honor. He's a great-looking athlete. He's legitimate. And when Mark Briscoe came out, it woke people up that had not been having a... Didn't look to me like a very good time so far, but they knew who he was, and they were excited to see him. And again, here is where Tony Khan has been gifted something that all he has to do is take care of. He doesn't have to plant it and grow it and water it. It's been handed to him. Just put it in a nice place and let everybody look at it. And he can't figure this out. The way they put this together, number one, even Mark Briscoe's very professional guy and would do anything and may have even said to Josh Woods, hey, you know, you're already here, brother. You know, I'm going to win, so I'm going to give you most of the match. Some producer should have shut that down at the fucking behest of Tony Khan, the booker himself. They had a match 
that not only went through a break, but also was involving other people and distractions and unnecessary falderall around the ring. Mark Briscoe, until the latter stages of the match, barely had any offense. He's still at a point in time where he, as a single, needs to be established as a guy that's capable. Just because everybody knows that, in the words of Bill Watts, meaning the fans, doesn't mean that you don't have to tell them again. They had just got this match started. They were serious, and they, they looked like grown men. And then suddenly they do a spot where the, the heels at ringside pull Mark out to the floor and start beating on him. And here comes Felix and Penthouse, and they hit ringside, and they get on the fucking heels that pulled Mark out. And guess what they did, Brian? Guess what they did? Guess, guess. They stayed in ringside, and they helped out in the match, and then they uh, high-fived the fans. No, they fought off. Oh, that's right. They fought right off. And the whole match, meanwhile, had ground to a halt. Mark has had exactly one match on their television. It took place a month ago. But now they do an apron spot as soon as the other guys fight off where Woods suplexes Mark off the apron, flat back to the floor, and they go to the break. So I wrote, the babyface has done almost nothing before the cutoff for the heat. We got 20 minutes of that rotten tag team match earlier. They give us two minutes of this with interference, and they go to the break and disrupt the fucking flow. So uh, anybody wondering why I never even considered taking the fucking job for this guy and these, these people. It's shit like this. When he gets shit handed to him and he can't even figure it out. They come back from the break. Mark is firing back, but Sterling distracts. Wood stops him again. And finally, Mark makes a comeback and gets a chair and sets it up and does the old Sabu triple jump, leaping cannonball thing over the top or whatever. Hit a razor's edge off the ropes for a two count, and then he calls for the J-Driller, and I'm thinking, yeah! And Wood stops him again and gets a two count on a German. And I'm, what the fuck? I said these famous words in the Ring of Honor production truck about Michael Elgin and Grizzly Redwood 10 years ago. Who the fuck are we pushing here? And Woods beat up Mark some more, and they went back and forth. And then Mark hit a Death Valley driver, boom, beautiful, bounced to his feet, went up to the top and hit the froggy bow, one, two, three, finally, and got a big pop. But I don't... Tony does not know how to use what he's handed because he hasn't already thought of it. And it doesn't fit in his, you know, meticulous plans that he's laid out because he doesn't sleep because of whatever the medication is. I'll give you a, a, Mark Briscoe. He's bullet. He's for the past month. He's been bulletproof. Once they got the clearance to put him on television, he should have been getting a five or six minute win every week over anybody to establish that he's he's there. He's forging on the Briscoe name as a single. He's going to be a player. He's got a winning record, and we're seeing his shit, and we're liking it. And his personality has a chance to get over. And all of his quirks. It's not when you bring him in after three weeks ago, he had a good match, and now he's having a eh, match with a lot of attention going elsewhere and barely pulls it out against a guy that we never see on this television. 
Yeah, another Here's issue. A, another issue too. Ahead. You said that Josh Woods, and again, we've never seen him, so how are you supposed to really care? Came out with several people. How many people were on this show? The Dark Order are all on this show. Eight people in the opening match. I mean, this show is just packed with people. A lot of people. No stars. Here's another example. What do you, what do you think about this? Cody Rhodes in the WWE. He tears his pec and is out for nine months for surgery. They turn that into a positive. And by the time that he comes back at the Royal Rumble, the packages have been played and replayed constantly. And the footage and the the comments have been reinforced in everybody's mind. It's like he came back from the dead and triumphed, you know, over all adversity from a torn peck, right? They know how to make a star. Oh, Hobbs, powerhouse Hobbs. From what we understand, his brother was murdered right in front of him. And we've heard it twice in passing in packages over the last three years. Hobbs, who they started rebuilding again randomly in videos that would show up for like two or three weeks, and then we haven't seen him again since. You made the monster. Apparently, we made him to go away for quite some time. But that's what I'm saying. On the other channel, if somebody gets a shin splint, they have come back from terminal cancer. In this company, you get somebody handed to you that through outside measures not involving you, Brian Pillman's Dark Side of the Ring episode, the fucking, what we just talked about, Hobbs's brother, Mark Briscoe's brother, and the circumstances. And they don't know how to pick up on it. And they drop it every time. You know what, Brian, at this point, to be quite honest with you, at this point in the program, I was needing somebody to talk to. I was depressed. I had anxiety. I was, my butthole was quivering and clenching up inadvertently at random times. You know, that's a sign of severe anxiety when you have butthole clenches at random times. Have you ever had the butthole clenches at random times? I haven't. I'm unfamiliar with this. Well, sometimes when life gets you bogged down, folks, you may feel overwhelmed, your butthole may be clenching at random times, or you're not projecting out your best self the way you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. It can help you take out your strains when you see talent on a television program that you love and respect being mismanaged. You need to talk to somebody like I'm talking to you, Brian, and... The folks out there can talk to our friends just like you are my friend, Brian. And they are our friends. You, our friends. You won't get there, will you? <laughs> you need to talk to our friends at BetterHelp. You know, BetterHelp is obviously a sponsor of this particular episode of the program, as they are of so many of them. And that's because a lot of the folks out there in the cult, they send us emails They've gone through rough patches. Sometimes it helps to talk to somebody, bounce some ideas or problems off other people to get a different viewpoint on everything. And they, as they say at BetterHelp, when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you, even bad television programs. So, folks, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option, convenient, flexible, affordable. 
entirely online. You don't have to go anywhere in person. No one will come to your home. No salesman will call. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Of course, now, just don't be a wise ass and just go through everybody they got on the roster once. That would be rude. But if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there, and we can get you money off. That's right, a discount. If you go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E right now, today, this very minute, if you got time, you'll get 10% off your first month's services, BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E, 10% off your first month's services. Folks, once again, if you need to talk to somebody They'll listen to you better than me and Brian do because Brian's notoriously prickish about these things and I just don't have time. Better help. All right. Well, speaking about needing somebody to talk to, Renee Moxley Good was in the back sitting down with young Adam Cole who needed somebody to talk to about his, his road to the comeback from the concussion issues. And... This he's a pure baby face and he's very well spoken and it's obviously you know they're going to bring him back as a pure baby face but I don't know how close he is did you hear that he said yeah I'm finally able to get out and drive my car without pulling over and puking and my right eye stopped twitching so I'm almost ready to get back in the ring it seems like that's a leap I know he was talking about his small victories, but he said, I'm back on the road with AEW. Are they just now making him go to the towns to just stand there and not be concussed? I don't... Did they have him come out in LA just so they would have a surprise? Is he not even close to ready yet? I don't know. Because that was was a month and a half ago, right? Yeah, and it was... You know, I'm back on the road with AEW. We've seen clips of him in the ring before the show, you know, running back and forth on the ropes a couple of times. But so I don't know if they've started this tease a little too early or if they're going to surprise us. He's, you know, been playing possum or whatever, but they need they need all the talent they can get at this point. But again, with the way Adam was used before, maybe now Kyle's still hurt. Fish is gone. Can they bring him back and, and the people will be sympathetic to him? Can they make him a baby face that's important in, in the singles picture? What kind of physical shape is he going to be in when he looked like he did before he got hurt? Him and MJF could do a good job cutting promos against each other, but once they got in the ring, that's the issue. What's Adam Cole going to look like? So I, I hope good we'll see what happens. But uh, this didn't give any concrete evidence on, I'm coming back, just put him on a show. This was nothing. There was no reason for this promo, just like there was no reason for him to show up in L.A. and say nothing. Well, they had to stretch it out a few more minutes so they could get MJF in the ring at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. That was the reason for the promo. And they made sure he was in the ring because they started him at 8.56 p.m. Eastern. And... This was the only thing on the program that woke the people up in the arena, to be honest, as well as uh, us poor, beleaguered television viewers. The fans were all over him. They chanted asshole. 
You know, and he said, at one point in time not long ago, these schmucks used to love me. And they're chanting, shut the fuck up. Yeah, this guy needed to be the top babyface. Remember that? Oh, they'll never boo you again. Huh. So he's in the ring. He takes up the space at the same time while being blase about it. He uses the handheld some, but then he speaks to the people in the arena as well as the people at home. I wish he would say sport instead of business. Every time he said the reason why people get in this business. It's not fucking, you know, selling used cars. It's if you just say the people reason why people get in this sport is to be the champion. Doesn't make any difference. Nobody's going to set seats on fire, but it sounds better. Anyway, the show needed this because the fans were into it. He did a good promo. He was selling the main event at the pay-per-view. A 60-minute Iron Man match will be a challenge. Uh, Danielson's the best guy to have it with. We'll see what happens. But he did the promo, and then he brought out Brian Danielson's former mentor, Christopher Daniels. And they do the deal where MJF says, I want you to tell the truth about Brian Danielson. And immediately Daniels rolls, rolls over on him and says, hey, MJF gave me this ridiculous amount of cash money in this envelope to knock Brian Danielson on TV, but I'm not going to do it. The truth is Brian Danielson's this and that. He's better than you. He does the whole promo. And finally he says, Danielson's going to knock your dick in the dirt. And I wish Chris had been that good of a talker when we had him in TNA, but this was a good promo. He was at a couple of times. He was turning kind of awkwardly to the handheld behind him instead of paying attention to MJF at that point. But basically the bottom line was that's why you hate Brian Danielson, MJF, because it's everything you say about him. It's you, you're a fraud. And then MJF slaps the microphone away from him and they have a heated face to face. And Daniels tries to walk away. And MJF grabs him, and Daniels hits him with a perfect slap. Perfect. And MJF immediately kicks him in the balls and puts the arm bar on him. And as he's cranking the arm, then Danielson hits the ring, and MJF powders no contact, which was perfect also. So I would I would just as soon have seen that for 12 minutes or whatever and called it a day without the rest of this program being on either side of it, but I think they got the point across there. What'd you think? I thought MJF was good. Apparently, during the commercial, he was really on fire with the people in the building. I wasn't crazy about Christopher Daniels here. It felt hokey's not the word. I just didn't believe him. And he comes right out there and immediately goes right to the thing. And I don't know. I didn't like Christopher Daniels' performance here. And plus, we know Danielson was just in the back the whole time waiting. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't he come out there and smack why, MJF? Why, why did he come out and back poor Chris up before the, you know, the cause was lost? I, you know, I can see what you're saying, but while obviously the premise of this thing was kind of hokey and that Chris wouldn't have come out and taken the money, but then come out and blah, blah, blah. But since it was people talented at something, saying something that I gave a shit about, in the middle of this program, it shined like a bright beacon of light in a fog-shrouded harbor compared to the rest of the program. So maybe I'm just being too kind. But, you know, the other problem is this feud. 
this is not the Danielson of several years ago. In yeah. the ring, he's great. If you like those kind of matches, especially, because I feel like he's doing a lot of the same things over and over for me, but I've liked a few of his matches. The Roosh one, I really liked. He's not talking for himself anymore, though, is he? Really? Is he talking? He barely talks when he barely does. Talks. Is he talking you into this match? He's not talking me into this match. Whatever they did with Regal, that's all gone. That did nothing to talk us into this feud or this match. He ran out there and did this. He's beaten multiple guys like every MJF opponent has. I think MJF's doing a great job, and he's maybe one of the very few people on that entire roster you could say that about right now. The big issue I have going into this pay-per-view, I'm interested in seeing the match, but I don't think angle-wise or booking-wise, enough's been done to make people care that MJF's about to wrestle Brian Danielson. It's the same thing they've been, same flavor of thing they've been doing. Okay, beat all these other heels, and then you get the match, and blah, blah, blah. Danielson was taking over the ring and cutting these long promos. What, year and a half ago? Yeah, year and a half ago. Yeah. All right, well, speaking of taking over the ring, the trampoline cowboys were up next as Jungle Boy took on Brian Cage. And Jungle Boy, when the match started, did three dives in the first 30 seconds. Cage powerbombed him on the apron, and they went to the break. And they came back, and they were going back and forth. And it was every indie wrestling match ever. They did a bunch of moves to each other. Cage, a reckless buckle bomb, and F5 for a two count. A sloppy shit on the ropes. And then finally, Jungle Boy started doing some shit and rolled him up and pinned him. And then they play the music again, the Baltimore, so the fans can sing, oh, well, 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 well. It's always, oh. Is it, oh, well, oh, oh, or, oh, well, oh, well, oh, well, or, ole, 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 or, oh. Well, what else do you want? If it's not, oh, what's it going to be? A, E, I, or U? <laughs> How would that sound? Let me hear it. Sometimes, why? Yeah, why? that could be, why, why, why? I yell that a lot during AEW Dynamite, actually. How about E, E, E? E! E! Or, or, or even... That may be a tough one. But nevertheless, um, so they sing and then suddenly they play music. And here comes Christian in a suit and a sling. And Jungle Boy immediately charges him in the entranceway like he's going to attack a one-armed man on sight. And as he gets to him, Christian sprays him in the eyes with a spray of some kind, we assume pepper spray or whatever, then takes his sling off and hits his move on Jungle Boy on the floor and left him laying. So that hot program from 9 to 12 months ago is still... Fresh in everybody's mind. They get Christian back and put him right back into this. Is this what anyone wanted? They need experienced talent at the top of the card and people that can talk and carry segments. And so Christian gets plugged back in with Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy ain't at the top of the no, card. No, that's what's what I'm saying. He might be at the top of the car. Yeah, he's going to sit in one of those little kid seats, the car seats. He'll be at the top, strapped in possibly waving at people through the moon roof. Brian Cage, he really does remind me of a male cheerleader. He looks like a monster, but everything just looks so like, 
soft and fun. (laughs) Like, like I could just see him doing cartwheels and smiling while he does them. He looks like a monster. He's got whatever he's injecting. It's doing the job. But then he goes and he wrestles like he's not a monster. And we've seen it now from like a year and a half of no TV time. All of a sudden, he's been on TV like, what, five out of the last eight weeks? Yeah, and ain't any any better. Not a lick better. And ain't any more over. Uh, and this show is not any more over. Uh, Renee Moxley Good announced that there would be a confusing series of battle royals to pick teams for a three-way tag team title match at the pay-per-view, but then... The acclaimed and Billy Gunn came in and said it'd be a four-way because they won in it too. So now they can just say that and it becomes a thing. I and they're going to have some type of battle royal to. I don't know what the fuck. It's going to be a four-way tag team title match to ensure that we all get tired of everybody. And these promos are not helping the acclaimed, as I mentioned. And then that's the the place where they put the comedy segment with the buckaroos and don fallis and harpo and knock it off talking about the nba finals and top flight and ar fox or mr wangs or lib or whatever his name is come in and challenge for a rematch of the match they already had on this uh, the friday night rampage show that nobody and they did some childish repartee about balls and then matt buckaroo took the basketball and hit his cameraman cutlet in the balls with the ball. And Tony lets them, pays them thousands and thousands of dollars to do this to his television. Well, technically millions and millions of dollars. And yeah, that's exactly. I mean, per show thousands and thousands. Yeah. And then the big match coming up next God, I can't wait to hear the ratings. I've deliberately let you present them to me. I've, I, I know nothing because I'm just... Pip Sabian with Penelope Pitstop in his corner against Hangnail Page. And whatever the fuck that Pip is dressed at, you can tell that he thinks he looks good in it. What is that outfit and that hair and that... What is, what is he? What is he, Brian? He is someone being used on TV for no good reason. He hasn't improved much in the ring since the beginning in 2019. The fans don't really seem to care about him too much, yet Tony keeps shoving him on TV. All of a sudden. Remember, Hangnail got attacked earlier in the show and the announcers were wondering, is his shoulder going to be okay? Is he going to be all right? He comes out, he's not selling, he's not wrapped up. He just goes so... The announcers should have reminded him instead of us that he got attacked earlier in the show. And then they start this match, and the first thing I wrote is, my God, Pip is on offense. Will this be competitive? The clown cowboy is supposed to be a top guy, and he's he's going to be competitive with Pip. And then they go back and forth, and they went through a break. He can't beat a child-sized twit. How is he supposed to be fighting John Moxley? So they come back, and do some more stuff. They're acting like this is a serious match. And then finally, Paige hits a power bomb and gets a two count. And then they go back and forth again. And finally he hits the dead eye one, two, three. And that's where I wrote, was this the girls match segment of the week? 
in terms of ratings drop, I mean, um, that's usually where it's placed. Uh, your thoughts before we move on to the black poolers coming out to confront Hangnail. This was their world champion. <laughs> you have to remind yourself of that. At least with Omega, he's in his own little universe, so you can kind of pretend like he's still a big shot even though he interacts with six other wrestlers. Adam Page was the world champion. AEW fans would even argue that he was a better world champion than Roman Reigns. Oh. Look at where he is today. Well, right where he was was after he won the match over Pip. Mark Lester, by the way, the young man who played Oliver in the musical in 1968, oh, Mark Lester. That was a few weeks for that to pop into your head. Well, I just, I remember that someone had, had peeped me to it. So he's standing there and here comes Moxley and Claudio and Useless. And they're, they get in the ring to confront Paige by, who's the fucking baby face here? Whose side are we supposed to be on? So Moxley gets the microphone, tells him there's no unfinished business between us because you got beat. And there's no chance that you will ever beat me again. And Paige takes the microphone and responds with a classic display of frontier gibberish. Did you hear that line? He tried to say, we fought and whoever was left standing, but he said, we fought and whoever stood. <laughs> and it's going to end when only one of us is left standing at revolution. And then Moxley then said, well, I hope that you would say that because I want to fight you at Revel. Oh, God. So it's going to be last man standing. No DQ, lazy booking. And then Moxley says, you've got no friends, nobody to take up for you. And out come the dorks. The dork order, which now consists of Pizzeria Uno in a purple suit and a white tie and that stupid fucking mask. At least people know that he was a wrestler, albeit a bad wrestler, a wrestler you'd never actually want to see on purpose, but at least they know he's wearing the mask because of that and not they don't even know what the fuck Excalibur was all about. But anyway, here he comes, purple suit, white tie, goofy mask with little Brutus and the other guy, whatever his name is. And Uno got in Moxley's face and told him off and pie-faced him. So now Adam Page is being upstaged by a fat, unknown job guy in a mask who is punking out John Moxley. And he's mad that they're doing it on his behalf. Yes, and he, yeah, he's like, why are you standing up for me? Well, then tell the fucking jobbers to hit the fucking bricks. You're the one that you fed the puppy when you gave him rides on your lawnmower, hangnail. So Moxley takes getting pie-faced and told off by this fat fucking goof in a goddamn souvenir lucha mask and looks around him and challenges Adam Page at Revolution Texas Death. And there was not one pop or peep from the crowd in Texas. Well, they had just seen the Texas Tornado match. They weren't prepared for another Texas-themed match. Well, they're not going to see it there anyway. 
Because it's going to be in goddamn, where is, Revo- uh, is this Revolution, their pay-per-view? Where is it going to be? I don't even know. Uh, uh, the outer reaches of your mind. Yes. The Chris Colt experience. <laughs> um, but yeah, no pop from the crowd for a Texas death match in Texas because they don't know whose side they're supposed to be on because this is like a bunch of assholes arguing with each other. With a bunch of fucking guys mixed in that you could give a shit whether they catch fire or drop dead or turn blue. And speaking of people, we don't care if they catch fire, drop dead, or turn blue. Tony was in the back with the Jericho appreciators, and I just skipped that at this point. And they went to a break, and they came back with Tony, with Stokely Hathaway, the other page, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah, Isaiah Cassidy. Good job, Adam Page. And Stokely is wearing a... Oh, did I did I interrupt you from comments you wanted to make? No, I was comparing you to Adam Page with the... Oh, I believe that. Oh, the yeah. frontier gibberish. I see what you're doing here now. And Stokely is wearing a cast now because Hook last week broke his arm when he grabbed his arm in the promo. And it was... It's all insincere comedy. Because... We used to do the same thing. They get the manager spots from me for that I got from Bobby Heenan and blah, 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 or everybody that did it. But the guys doing this stuff are not being sincere with it. You believe that they are assing off rather than that they really are trying to put this shit over as, as what's happened to them or what their fucking issue is. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You see it. They're winking at you. And so then it's just people acting silly. Speaking of which, the main event of the evening on this program, Tony Storm with Soraya versus Ruby Soho versus Britt Baker with Jamie Hayter. Another three-way triple threat match. Anything goes, lazy booking. Another situation where nobody's really sure exactly who they're supposed to be cheering for because Britt and Hayter used to be the heels. And at one point, they had set up, accidentally set up something to where if they turned Hayter babyface on Britt, they could have drawn some money with that match. But that that moment has passed. And now Baker and Hayter are babyfaces because they're AEW originals rather than Tony Storm and Soraya, who are these bitches that came in from wwe to spoil our cheerleading squad and ruby soho came from the wwe but she sympathizes with the basically the heels that were fucking with her three months ago because now they're holding up for aew and she can't pick which side she wants to be on so they're going to have a triple threat match and around all of this when Tony and Soraya come out, you got they got the spray painting thing going on now. So Tony and Soraya pull a fan, a girl fan, over the railing out of the first row and go to spray painter before the match even starts. But Ruby's entrance music starts playing, so they held the girl there, held her in the seat in the corner in front of the railing, but they didn't spray paint her. And they waited until Ruby walked over there to leave. What the fuck was that? What was that? That was a bad idea. I mean, the whole thing, forget about the paint. Just having the plant. Everyone knew it was a plant. It was so dumb. 
it was WWE level dumb. And then when they're going to perpetrate a crime on this woman, music plays and somebody comes walking out from 200 feet away. So you don't do the crime, but you don't let the victim go. You just stand there staring. And then the match started with contrived, confusing three-way spots, and they only at least had 10 minutes left on the air, thankfully, at this point. But they just did shit to each other, again, back and forth. And whose side are we supposed to be on? And the fans were sitting there. And I thought at one point, they need to hold a fucking mirror in front of these fans' mouths to see if they're still with us. And they went to break after a couple minutes, and they come back. The arena's in dead silence. And more back and forth, then everybody's down and nobody's getting up. Then they traded forearms. Then, you know, uh, finally, uh, Tony Storm got the clover leaf on Ruby and Brett Baker went to get her in the lockjaw too. So they'd both have a hold on her, but Soraya just comes in the ring and breaks it up because it's no DQ. And then Soraya hits a finish on Britt Baker and gets the spray paint and spray paints Tony Storm's ass so that Tony can run and give Baker the ass in the face and put the green L on Britt Baker's face like they're branding cattle. I don't... Uh, with an ass. With an ass. And then Ruby tossed Tony out onto Soraya and rolled up the other one, who was it? God damn, I don't fucking know. But Ruby, I think, won. And then Hater and Ruby and Soraya were arguing with each other, and I don't know what the fuck. Uh, fill me in on the rest of it. Ruby won. She still hasn't decided anything, though, for some reason. <laughs> so she still doesn't know what she's doing. A very indecisive girl. This episode was a disaster we'll talk about that in a moment but this match i hate to be a broken record but until people sit down and are willing to have a legitimate honest talk about the state of the women's division in aew we're just wasting a lot of people's time because no one cares about this division it's been booked horribly it's filled with a lot of people who don't belong on tv some of the people who have come off wwe tv you know what? I have to say, the fans like her. Ruby Soho's not very good in the ring at all. She, need, she needs different music. She needs, like, oh, you're no. an indecisive girl, and you won't pick one or other, but you never let the fans down, long as we can sing your song. Oh, yeah. Well, I like Rancid, even though I do like Rick James, but I prefer her staying with the Rancid song. But And then there's the Soraya problem. She came into big fanfare because people were happy to see her on a show, and it was her debut night. It has been an unmitigated disaster ever since. She's been involved in terrible promos, terrible angles. The fans don't really seem to like her. It's booing beyond your heel, I'm booing you. It's booing you like, I wish you weren't on this show that was mine. That's the way the fans are reacting to all this. This women's division, it's getting harder and harder week by week to justify its existence. If anyone wants to be honest and have an honest talk about it, there should be a place for women to wrestle. WWE, 
has top flight women on their roster, but the AEW women's division, how are you going to fix this? And as we've seen, when some WWE talent, male or female, comes to this atmosphere and we find out that there's a reason in some cases why the WWE tells guys every move to make. Because without that, the, a lot of this talent is lost. You know, you're seeing more and more chatter from longtime hardcore AEW fans, the type that typically, especially early on, would put you or me down because we were haters of AEW, not listening to any of the genuine criticism. Those people have certainly started to turn the page. And I didn't even mean that joke. But specific to Soraya, there is more and more and more chatter amongst AEW fans that she is the single worst contract signing in the history of AEW. They don't want to see her on that show. And quite and, frankly, there was no reason to sign her in the first place. And one wonders how much money that cost. But speaking of things people didn't want to see and turning the page on a long and lonesome highway east of Omaha, you can listen to the engine. Mooning out is one last song. You can think about the woman or the girl you saw the night before on television and how many other people saw them also. What were the ratings for this program? This week's episode, AEW Dynamite, February 15th, 2023, 824,000 viewers was the average. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's down 70 from last week, which was down almost 100 from the week before, right? Did the Big Bang, did the Big Bang lead him in this week? I believe so, but I think the problem Who is... Who let him out? <laughs> the problem, too, is if you watch this show and you see the Jerry Jarrett tribute and then Jeff comes out and you see what that match is and it's not going to be any kind of tribute match or anything. Not that there's a big audience for that, but the tone that it immediately set... And then during that match, they put up a graphic on the bottom of the screen showing the rest of the card for the night. If you caught that, I don't think you were staying around for the rest of the night. Segment well, one. Oh, go ahead. I was about to say, let's examine those quarters then. What was going on? Segment one, 8 to 8.15 p.m. This is put together by Brandon Thurston, WrestleNomics. Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt versus Billy Gunn, Orange Cassidy. And the acclaimed, as well as the post-match, 938,000 viewers. Oh, that's the first time they haven't started with a million in I don't know how long. It's been a while, yeah. And, and it's never a good story from here, so if they're starting at that point, I'm wondering where they finished. Keep going. Segment 2, 8.15, 8.30 p.m. The Brian Danielson backstage promo as well as the Texas Tornado match with the Blackpool Combat Club and Roosh and Preston Vance, 829,000 viewers. Jesus Christ! In the, after the first 15 minutes, they lost 109,000 people. Why would you tune in? Why would you stay watching? Orange Cassidy, the acclaim being used by this, Sanjay and the Giant, I don't think a lot of people want to see Jeff, especially the way he's going to be used in this situation. You got to do something different. Why would you stay? But the 829 segment two. Segment three, 830 to 845 p.m. The final six minutes of the Texas Tornado tag match or Texas Tornado match, as well as Adam Page, 
and his backstage angle with the Butcher of the Blade, Kip Sabian, and the Dark Order, the Wardlow backstage interview, and the start of Mark Briscoe versus Josh Woods, including Picture in Picture, 901,000 viewers. Wow. So that's, again, now they're back up 72,000. Do you think a bunch of those people just said, fuck it, we'll come back in 15 minutes to see Mark Briscoe? I think a lot of the things that happened in segment one and maybe even in the segment two caused people to say, I'm going to hang out until nine o'clock, but I kind of, I'm going to walk away for a while and come back. And that's what happened. Segment four, 845 to 9 p.m., the final five minutes of Briscoe versus Woods, the Adam Cole backstage promo, and MJF's entrance with picture in picture and the live promo. 868,000 viewers. So they're back down 33,000. But the the MJF promo at the top of the hour, because it went from four minutes till till about 10 minutes after, did they gain anybody back for that? Because that, as we said, was the high point of the energy level of the evening. Segment 5, 9 to 9.15 p.m., MJF's confrontation with Christopher Daniels, the Guns backstage promo, and Brian Cage versus Jack Perry with picture in picture, 854,000 viewers. Jesus Christ, lost 14,000 more. Okay. 9.15 to 9.30 p.m., segment seven, uh, excuse me, segment six here. The last five minutes of Brian Cage versus Jungle Boy, the post-match with Christian Cage, saving his fellow Cage brother, Brian Cage. The Acclaim's backstage promo. I just realized they both have the last name Cage. The Acclaim's backstage promo. Cages and pages in this company. Now you see why Vince McMahon got pissy about names, but go ahead. As well as the backstage promo with the Elite and Top Flight and AR Fox and the beginning of Adam Page versus Kip Sabian with Picture in Picture. 763,000 viewers. Oh, Jesus. That's 30, say, 91,000 more have hit the road. And did I say, was that the girls' segment? <laughs> is that the one I said that about? You, see, you wondered what would happen there. Yeah, that is true. All right. Segment 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m. The final three minutes of Page versus Sabian. The Dark Order John Moxley confrontation. The Jericho Appreciation Society promo. 726,000 viewers. Jesus. At another 37,000. So we are now down 212,000 from the start of the program, and we started with less than a million to begin with. And finally, segment 8, 9.45 to 10 p.m. Oh, boy. The Firm's backstage promo and Ruby Soho versus Tony Storm versus Britt Baker. 710,000 viewers. They almost got below 700. So now we're, this is the base audience. Was there like the Super Bowl? Was that on opposite on no. Wednesday night? No, no. Did they land on the moon this week? Anything like that? You know, no kidding involved right now. There's a lot of people. So, and I think a lot of them knew better that built up Tony Khan's head into thinking he could book. 
And there's a lot of people that focused on some of the pay-per-view successes, and you can't take those away, and said that that number and that gate or whatever it may be somehow means the booking is okay. There are people there in that company who like Tony Khan a lot, who, when they talk to people outside the company, will let you know what they think about the booking and the creative, despite the fact that they like Tony Khan a lot. I don't know if anyone's saying it to him, but despite his love of professional wrestling, Tony Khan is not good at writing a wrestling TV show or traditional booking. I think he does have talent as a promoter, putting matches together for a pay-per-view and getting people to want to see that. But as we're seeing here, they're talking me out of matches for the pay-per-view as opposed to getting me to want to see them. They're focusing their TV on so many people and so many people that don't matter. Brian Cage is going to drive off viewers. You didn't know that already? You didn't know putting the women's match in the main event was going to hemorrhage viewers? You didn't know that the Elite and the Jericho Clowns weren't going to hold any viewers? You didn't know that if you started your show with that eight-man tag match with Orange Cassidy in 2023, you weren't going to drive off viewers? You didn't know that? Because any competent wrestling mind or pseudo-wrestling mind <laughs> who wrote that shit down on paper would see that. It was obvious to me. And the problem is when everyone says AEW needs to fix this, they need to fix this, they can make little repairs here and there. You could change the chairs on the Titanic. But the problem is who's writing the TV. And this project is Tony Khan's project. It's his love. It's what he really wants to do. Quite frankly, it's what he thinks he's good at. And I'm not trying to be funny or make fun of him or put him down. He's not good at it. And more people who know better, who have been afraid to say anything, need to say something. Because it's not just, oh, he needs to fix the elite, or oh, he doesn't have CM Punk, or oh, this or that. No, it's everything. He shouldn't be writing the TV. It's not one of his talents. You said so much that I wish I had said right there. The only thing I'm going to add is you talked about... No, no, seriously. You talked about the, the pay-per-view successes. My bone of contention with this thing from day one is with this kind of television exposure and that kind of money imagine how good th they could be doing now if this shit had made sense from the start and part of the whether you want to be a good promoter or a good booker or whatever part of it is identifying good talent and using it to accentuate it instead of be a, a anchor around its neck and Tony's done the opposite when guys do get over with his fans it's generally through no doing of his they pick out the people they like the best because the other shit confuses them and then he drops the ball on those people but the people that are not over that don't keep viewers that don't get them mainstream attention of any repute He'll push them down your fucking throat because those are his friends because he likes them because they're nice to him and they tell him that he's doing such a good job. And again, Tony has been disserved because there are wrestlers he's given a lot of money to that he really likes 
that haven't helped him, that have helped themselves in every single way, every time. The promotion never gets better. Things only keep getting worse. And, you know, when this thing with Ariel Hawani happened the other day, or yesterday, Scott Cornish, the wrestling humorist, had a great line. Tony has too much free time on his hands. Give him another TV show to book. Because <laughs> it's getting to the point where it's ridiculous. Jim, did you see the lineup for next week's Dynamite? No, I didn't. But re- while we close this segment out, uh, run that one by me one more time. AEW Dynamite, I saw this on Twitter, on their official Twitter, this Wednesday, 8 p.m., 7 Central TBS. Certainly, certainly. he's good. This is going to be an all-star extravaganza to try to get the bad taste out of people's mouth from last week. So he's going to have all hands on deck, some intriguing matchups with his best performers, and big-name stars, right? This is Mid-South Late 83. John Moxley versus Evil Uno in the main event. Oh, what? All-Atlantic title match. Orange Cassidy defends against Wheeler Yuta. We have a tag team battle royal. We haven't seen enough of those in AEW. <laughs> the acclaimed go up against Big Bill and Lee Moriarty. What? Soraya versus Sky Blue. Oh boy. I have a feeling Sky Blue is going to be dark green. We have an announcement from AEW CEO and GM Tony Khan. We hear from Brian Danielson, and Tony Schiavone will interview Christian Cage. Now, things could change. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, I, I agree now that they're giving the acclaimed of a win in a tag team situation. Of course, it could be a couple of experienced veterans that could really have a slick match and bump for them and put it together and lead them through it to where they look better than they, than they might be. Or you can find two guys who are even greener and one of them is too big to fucking move around and you can have a stinky match and they'll win that and look worse. But that it, it, it's a it's a close choice. It could go either way. Did you see the Mike Tyson thing yesterday? Where Tyson said, "Yeah, you know, I'd like to. Uh, I'd work for WWE, even though they pay me less money. But I go to AEW because he pays me more money." <laughs> like that's the thing. I, I feel bad for Tony because Tony's become a laughing stock amongst a lot of people, and he's doing it to himself, and he just doesn't. He doesn't seem to have a desire to change things. It's just he surrounds himself with the same people, does the same thing. It's an echo chamber. He thinks that he's doing a good job. He thinks he's doing a good job. (laughs) And can you imagine whether you're Kenny Omega or CM Punk or Jay White or whoever's going to be a free agent coming forward? A conversation with Tony Khan versus a conversation with Nick Khan or Triple H. If you're serious about your career, you're going to have to really think about what you're going to want to do because, quite frankly, there's a lot of guys who have had those conversations and they come away impressed with Nick Khan. Yeah, and I've heard some people talk about their impressions of Tony, too. Impressed is still a word. They're, they, Tony makes an impression on them with his activities and behavior. You know, Brian, after watching this television program, I was nauseous. I was sick to my stomach. I thought, my God, my intestines need replaced. 
Is, is that what you thought after AEW? Your yes, I did. Replaced? I thought I need an intestinal replacement. <laughs> well, what are you going to do about such a problem? Well, fortunately, I've been reading up on it, and I found out that I don't need an intestinal replacement. I just need to take care of my goddarn gut health. But you know what, folks? I'll tell you, if... If for any reason, if you're nauseated, if you're green around the gills if, for watching a bad wrestling program, if you feel like you need an intestinal replacement, you need to do what I've done. I've gone to seed. And I know a lot of people that have gone to seed, and it's done them a world of good. And folks, I'll tell you what, I'm pretty convinced that you can go to seed too, and it will do you a world of good. Because our friends, by the way, at seed.com, those folks have got your gut health in the uppermost part of their mind, and they are they are doing people a world of good around the world now. Because you know, gut health, Brian, it's a it's a complicated business because the health of your gut determines the health of the rest of your body, your immune system, every it, it's all interconnected. It's it's uh, the leg bone connected to the gut health, and on and on. And the folks at Seed.com are experts. They are they have developed scientifically validated, clinically studied next generation probiotics for people and the planet. I'll have you know. And if you look over the information that they have sent us, you'll see that it's complete gibberish to folks like you and me. Why well, wouldn't we say don't that. know what we don't know what? No, we don't know what the hell's going on here. We don't know how this gut health thing works. That's why we need to rely on the, the experts, the scientifically trusted experts with integrity and knowledge at seed.com that have developed this incredible CDS01 daily symbiotic for your gut health. Because otherwise, the lay people like you and me, you get laid every once in a while, Brian, even though you're married, the lay people like you and me, we're in over our heads here. We're seeing stuff like pathogenic antigens and gut microbes producing metabolistic products known as metabolites that facilitate communication between gut cells and immune cells, maintaining homeostasis of the microbiome. We don't know what that means. Basically, here's the thing, folks. You got, you got to have fiber. We've been talking about the fiber. I'm on the fiber now. Ever since last week with my colonoscopy, and the fiber is to, is to help the poop go round, but also it does a whole bunch of things where it ferments and foments and sits down there. It's kind of like a compost pile in your stomach, and and there's fatty acids and anti-inflammatory and antioxidant responses that go on. We don't know what the fuck's happening here. That's why you need to take. I certainly this don't. Yes. No. That's why you need to take this fine CDS01 daily symbiotic. It's as easy, see, for us simpletons that can't understand why higher levels of stress can trigger blooms of pathogenic microbes that promote dysbiosis and increase intestinal permeability, which, by the way, is also known as leaky gut. You don't want your fucking stomach to rot out and drip out your ass, folks. So what you do is, you rely on the experts that develop this stuff, and you put one of these right on your nightstand with a glass of water, and the first thing in the morning, you get up, you take the 
DS01 Daily Symbiotic along with a sip of water and you're good. Your stomach will stay inside your basic body cavity for the rest of the day. And you don't have to go to school for 15 years and learn how to read all of this other gobbledygook that the scientists have to come up with in order to keep us all healthy and safe. I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how we're going to end. But why don't we talk about what we talk about? Well, all you have to do, you have to do. It's all. It's uh, the only thing you have to do is go visit seed.com. That's S E E D. See, we can't even spell a four letter word. We're imbeciles over here. We don't know what the fuck's going on. So they've made it. They put it in pill form where it's just simple. You go to seed.com slash drive and use the code drive. D-R-I-V-E, that's five letters, to redeem 20% (laughs) off your first month of Seeds DS-01, registered trademark, by the way, daily symbiotic at seed.com slash drive and use the code drive. You You can start a new healthy habit today. You can get good gut health inside your innards. The real deal in a symbiotic that everybody needs. You need more sin, folks. One that's backed by clinical trials, scientific data, and big words. So visit seed.com slash drive and use the code drive to get 20% off this daily symbiotic from seed that you are going to love. Just go to seed. I've gone to seed. People have told me that for ever since I started. <laughs> All right, I know what we're going to hear already. We don't mind what he said, but he didn't say the big words. But speaking of big words, how about big numbers? Oh. Because have you heard, have you heard the bird is the word? The price, the asking price that Vince McMahon apparently has in his mind for how much he wants from... Prince Mohammed bin Solomon over there or whoever is is in charge of Endeavor these days or whoever the front runners are, $9 billion for the WWE lock, stock, barrel, and paralegals. Everything. Out the door, send the trucks, everything must go, haul it off. We've been hearing $6 billion and we thought, okay, that's, you know, we were trying to you and I, over several conversations over these programs, have tried to justify why that a company would pay six or some conglomerate or whatever would pay six billion dollars for the company. If the, if the theory is that if one of the broadcast affiliates would want to just save the rights fees by buying the company, but a large part of the company's revenue is the rights fees they were paying, and and chase that down the rabbit hole. Now, $9 billion? What do you think there, Wizard of Wall Street? I think it all circles back to the Saudis because they're the only ones who could actually pay that kind of money without taking on massive debt. That's why it's a limited pool of who could actually purchase WWE because you're not just paying what it's worth. You're paying some semblance of a multiple here. And... There are all these issues about how much they're going to get for the rights fees. There are a lot of issues going forward. There aren't a lot of buyers right now. Everyone's paring back. 
And this is a major purchase. This is bigger than most media purchases. Go look. So I think it circles back to the Saudis because they could pay, quite frankly, they could pay any amount of money yeah. and not have to take on various financial institutions as a partner to raise the money to do it. And they don't have to justify anything they spend either, right? They don't have to make a profit. They don't have to report to any stockholders. They don't have to say boo to a goose, as Adrian no. Street used to say. They can just say, here's mil- billions of dollars, and, and we've got more in cash, and you know we got a swimming pool of money, a Scrooge McDuck money bin. If we they, swim in it daily. If they had an IRS, they could declare it all as promotional yeah, <laughs> and sponsorships, yeah. and they there would, you they, go. They, if they had an income tax <laughs> arrangement, they would run the income tax arrangement to begin with. The whole country <laughs> is just is their fucking bank, right? And they That's have right. endless supplies of crown jewels and gold and fucking palaces and goddamn and oil and wrestlers and and, a, and a soon to be wrestlers. So, okay, $9 billion with the Saudis, if they wanted it, here's the thing. Vince was definitely involved in the in the original relationship with the Saudis, the origin of it and the, the, the start of it and development of it. So he has their cell phone number. Uh, do you think that he... We've been speculating on whether or not he saw that, okay, the rights fees aren't going to work out like we've said, and we're going to lose a few billion off the top, so let's sell it now and, you know, cash out, whatever. That was speculation I had. Maybe he not only thought that, but reached out to whoever he would reach out to over there in in Saudi Arabia to say, hey, what would you think if you if I asked you for nine billion for the place, and he already knew that's what they'd go for? Possibly. We were thinking about moving offices. We were thinking we could either go downtown or maybe Riyadh. We we don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're you know we're in the middle of the new office move. <laughs> we're spending a lot of money. They really are. They're supposed to move into the new place this year. Maybe now they've. God damn it. <laughs> Eight stories in fucking Stanford, <laughs> Connecticut. Everything must go. But no, seriously, maybe he... If the rights fees not being what they want or, or them speculating they're not going to be what they want, then that drops Comcast out, which, and your boy Farber kind of spoiled that too. Maybe Faber. Comcast is out. Faber. And as you said, anybody else would have to take on pretty massive debt besides one of the streaming services or conglomerates and they've potentially figured out the rights fee thing or one of the broadcasting conglomerates so then endeavor do what do they want the wwe they'd have to pay more than they paid for the ufc when they're still in the hole for the ufc correct quite a large yeah. amount of money i mean that's the thing when they bought the ufc they didn't just have all that cash on hand. Most people, most companies don't. You know, Vince McMahon wanted to buy back his own company. He would need partners. He would need help. He would need banks. And Endeavor's an interesting name because of the UFC specifically, because of who works there, because of the connections all throughout the entertainment industry. Does that mean connections with advertisers? 
Can you have an advertiser-supported wrestling show if you don't have a partner on American TV? I mean, there's a lot of interesting questions about what the future is, because if you're buying WWE with the expectation you're going to get this rights fee, and you have a better chance of getting the rights fee if you're not the company paying it, (laughs) (laughs) and you're the purchaser, than not. So if that's what you're buying it for, and you have to justify this massive price tag and what you're actually getting for it, and what you're getting for it is future profits. That's what people are buying companies for, is the money it can make in the future. You have to wonder if they see any play at all in a future beyond traditional television and the massive rights fees. If those rights fees are going to drop, you know, at what point do you start trying to self-distribute, and would that even work? And again, I'm just throwing ideas out there, but I guess my point is, I think it would be a very, very hard thing to justify for Endeavor. If I was a board member of Endeavor, I don't think I would want this. Or you could be a a member of the royal family of a filthy, rich country that has absolutely no controls whatsoever and does what it wants to do. You know what the problem is, too? Wrestling, I think, to a lot of people, especially in entertainment, seems like this fun thing that anyone could do, not understanding that is a, it, it, it's still a, oh, yeah. a unique business. That's been business. my experience for the past 30 years, they think that. Yeah, and some of them could do it like in the ring, like a Logan Paul or even a Bad Bunny. Some of these guys can perform, but I'm talking about the business end of it. I think a lot of the executives and different people think it's easier than it is, and then it's a rude awakening because it's still a very unique business, and it always will be with unique people, and it's... You know, UFC is too, to be fair, but they're going to be paying a lot more money for WWE, and you have to figure out where that money's coming from in the future. There'll always be money. I'm not saying like WWE is going to not produce any income, but is it going to produce profits over the next 10 years to justify the debt payments you're going to pay, the interest you're going to pay every year? I don't know. It's a, it's a real tough purchase for that price specifically. Yeah, because if you, what will the, well, we can't do that math. Even you, I can't do any math, but even you wouldn't be able to do the math because we don't know the parameters or the numbers, but it's not just going to cost somebody $9 billion. Is It's going to cost them $9 billion plus whatever interest going forward that they have to pay to, you know, to not get thrown in jail for the bulk of the $9 billion that they borrowed. That's right. right? That's right. If you, so, have, if you have to borrow, let's just throw a number out there. And How the fuck would you, would you if, nobody will live long enough to make a profit on this deal, will they? Go ahead, your simile. Yeah, let's just say you have to borrow somewhere between 5 and $7 billion <laughs> to finance this. Let's say you come to the table with a lot of money, but you still need to borrow 5 to $7 billion. It's a lot of interest. That's a Ooh. lot of interest. And again, if... If the television rights profits don't continue the trajectory they've been on, and I don't know that they can, and I don't even think that's about WWE, I think that's about life. I think this is a yeah. problem going forward. I think that's, to me, that's the biggest issue. For me, if I was someone actually interested in purchasing WWE, that'd be the biggest issue. Well, yes. <laughs> What do you think's gonna I happen? Think- what do you th- the way this is all playing out? The way it's all played out specifically since Vince came back, 
and everyone shot down the poor reporter who reported about the Saudis, and then he had to delete the tweet and go into hiding. <laughs> How this is playing out, what do you think is going to happen? I, and when? Well, here's the thing. Nick Khan, would you agree, uh, is not a person who likes to look foolish in public, right? I would agree, yes. He wants so, you to take him seriously, absolutely. So then why from his own lips would he give a, oh, this is going to be happening over the next three months? Why would he say that unless they were pretty sure it was? It not, I mean, he could. He didn't have to lock himself into a, a, a short period of time like that or a short estimate like that he goes oh it, it will be happening this year or we believe it you know blah 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 so he don't like to look foolish so that was kind of a thing vince coming back pretty pretty suddenly bursting into the room as it were in a dramatic fashion and going we're selling this thing and i'm in charge of it they know so they obviously know something we don't know because they're involved in it. But it seems like, you know, the the old I Love Lucy episode where she was about to give birth. The time is now. And everybody goes into a panic. Let's do this. So they know something and something's going on. And they're gonna close at Mania. Watch. No, come on. They're gonna close at Mania. If you were gonna buy WWE, where would you wanna do it? And if you were hot shotting, if you were hot shotting to the very last second, where would you want to get that person to sign that deal? <laughs> so, so then, then the fullers say, just sign right here. <laughs> I have a pen. You know what? That's a pretty good goddamn idea because then can you see the big screen? At WrestleMania, the fireworks go off after the main event, and then suddenly there's Prince Muhammad bin Salman, yeah. or whatever his fucking name is. <laughs> Welcome to Saudi Mania! Here's your new owner, and then he gets booed out of the building the first night. <laughs> but wait, but wait, that he's the new owner, and he says, and we will praise Allah with the WWE, and then all of a sudden, no chance in hell plays. And here comes Vince and he struts down the fucking deal without tearing <laughs> his quads. And he says, but you overlooked the loophole. I'm still in charge and I stand for America. And then every fucking show thereafter is the Americans versus the Saudis. By the way, what a heel turn by Vince, Mr. I wasn't in the military, but I love patriotism and I yeah. and like military school meant I was in the military and I love America. By the way, the Saudis have a bunch of money. I'm going to take it. Uh, all hey, right, well, I'm going I'm to split the difference. I think WWE will be sold to the Saudis, but Nick Khan will go to Endeavor. So you're saying Khan to Endeavor, WWE to Saudis. And I'm saying 25 or 6 to 4. And I'm saying this, if if any, I'm trying to think of who the possibilities are. If any American-based, predominantly media holdings company purchases WWE at anywhere near that price, I thought six billion was an issue. They're gonna lose. They, you're gonna. <laughs> I'd say about 18 months, give or take, later in the newspapers, we're gonna start seeing stories about people being fired. Not even just from the wrestling company, from the corporate side, people being yeah. fired from making this decision. 
This is going to go down as a bad one. I that's what I think. For that and price. who's going to be in charge of all the tape of all the history of wrestling that's left in that mountain vault somewhere? Which, which, which one, theirs or ours? They, they, well, <laughs> theirs. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not telling everybody where ours is, but theirs. You know, that's at this point, that's what I'm worried about. You know, if if, if it was just the that company's history, that'd be one thing. But it's everybody's that they've picked up. Everything. And that's just, you know, bullshit. But anyway. And they don't even use it. That's the thing. They bought it to just put it on a shelf. Like it's not even you can't go and watch all yeah. these hours of wrestling that they've purchased and it's it's gonna get worse. That's not gonna get better. That's gonna get worse. And speaking of getting worse, I don't know when was the announcement made that Vince wanted nine billion? Was it before or after Friday night's SmackDown before the Elimination Chamber aired? Because if it was beforehand, the the price has been devalued once this show aired. I think it was beforehand. Actually, I know it well, was beforehand. Well, now they're down to eight point five billion just off this one program. Um, boy, how do I guess they figure? Well, anybody that's going to fucking buy it's already bought it or going to buy it. So we'll just give them ten minutes of Sammy, and then we'll just walk through the rest of it like we're in our sleep. Uh, it was a we what, it was a weird go home show other than the Sammy what, stuff. That's what we're going to do, too. We're going to walk through this briskly, and we're not going to go to sleep on anything. But they did the Jerry Jarrett graphic, too, uh, which was classy. And actually, uh, it was a little bit, uh, I thought, a little uh, brighter, a little better color the way they did it or whatever. Uh, but th this show was uh, packages. It was basically the ongoing bloodline Sammy story packages through the whole thing. And then there was random matches mixed in and they started it at the beginning. And then Natalia and Shotzi against Rhonda and Shayna and Shotzi's back in a, in a tank again, an actual tank folks, not a drill, not an actual tank, a toy tank, but not like the drunk tank or whatever. Is Ronda Rousey <laughs> completely uninteresting to you at this point now with just just from watching over the last year, whatever the fuck she's done or not done? You know, not only do I agree with you on that, but I thought about it the other day and someone I was talking to on the phone said something and I hadn't even thought of this in a while and it made it even more puzzling. Wasn't she a Heyman project? Apparently he has forsaken her. I guess so. I don't know. I heard it. that in the past, but, um, or maybe, <laughs> maybe he just, yeah, you know, I don't want to get any on me, but anyway, the, she's Ronda match, I mean, if you want to ask, I mean, the answer to your question is she's Ronda Rousey and we're weeks before Mania and all of a sudden she's in a mid card women's tag team on the roster. Yeah. I don't, that answers everything. We should have seen less of her and enjoyed each time more than when they just had her come. Remember they brought her back and she twisted in the wind in a battle Royal and it was awkward and people started, you know, kind of giving her the end eh, and every, she was uninterested appearing, whatever. The best thing she did actually was the Saudi Arabia show where she had the work in her karate gi <laughs> and she looked like, yeah, she looked intense and she was really, she looked great that day. And then, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's happened. 
Well, what happened here was the heels foiled the Hart Foundation finisher and Ronda armbarred Shotzi. And there you go. And again, I go back to uh, they did another Bloodline story package and everything. Great editing on these packages that tell the history. We used to call them history packages because they tell the history of the angle or the program, the rivalry, whatever the case. But now we're 30 minutes into the show, and the only thing, I, you know, we've watched packages and, and the bleh match. You know what hit me during the Bloodline packages? The way that these backstage segments are such a big part of them and the way they play into them, it almost makes it impossible to have a narrator for the packages. <laughs> and then they ran into each other by the truck. Like, you know, how, you, how do you do it? Yeah. You know, they... I like... I like the way that they do these packages because they get the the alternate shots. They've ISO'd all the cameras, so just because what goes actually onto the program, they've got other alternate camera angles, and they slow-mo, and they get people's expressions, and it's very artsy. But we've actually lost... I, now that you've brought my attention to it, we've lost completely... The idea of the let's go back to last week's program and show you exactly what happened VTR replay of an angle. And that takes away some of the. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Not only in the territory days, but even in the attitude era or in, in WCW under TBS at the time. You would go back and look at the angle that took place. The Here comes Austin, and he's saving, and the people are going crazy in the stands, and they're cheering it. You're seeing it in real time again. And you relive that excitement and how everybody was caught up in it. And, it's a sh and then the shocking moment when he gets hit with the fucking ostrich over his head or whatever. In the, Just play the tape back in real time to see what happened. Everything's a package now. Everything's edited and made to look dramatic, but you lose the the energy that you got from the actual angle itself. Or am I just being pissy again? No, I think that's true. I mean, and the other thing to think about is every one of these backstage segments, they're great. And I'm not just talking about the bloodline, but for those who think like, oh, they should be put up for an Emmy. I mean, there's like fake crowd noise being pumped in behind it. So how <laughs> can you really judge the acting when you have all that? crap but yeah. well there's a, there's a laugh track in the 70s you know That's or 60s true. or whatever same thing but it was it was still annoying but speaking of annoying one of my favorite parts of the show these days my guilty pleasure was up next we were treated to another appearance by skid row and this they deserve time, their name come on they deserve their name at this point hit row they are a hit they are great. They let them rap again this time. <laughs> <laughs> and they've all three of them got microphones. And the the girl is talking over them. They're going, yeah, that's right. Or whatever that she's saying while they're trying to make it. But it's just all, it, all over the top of each other together. And they got no, uh, the old saying is no rhyme or reason. But in this case, it might be no rhyme or rhythm. Because it's, I, you know, I'm not a rap expert, Brian. You know more about the I like rap, the, the yeah. rap genre than I do. Were they doing it right? 
It didn't sound like Max Caster. It did not sound like Max Caster. It didn't sound like Oscar from Men on a Mission either. I think whatever talents they have musically, doing them in this setting in front of a live crowd does not display them well. I'm going to put that in the nice, because I have to think they really do have some talents that WWE saw like, hey, they could really rap. Let's put them together. We'll have our own rap group. Because there's nothing else that makes sense. I think this just isn't the setting for them to, because also no one's reacting. I mean, usually when like, if you see like Wu-Tang Clan, Ooh. Again, Ooh. You don't, again, you don't know rap, but let's say there's 25 people on the stage and multiple people have mics, but people in the crowd may be doing it along with them. So like, it, it's just all this big communal thing when you just have a bunch of people and they're rapping and no one knows what they're rapping and no one's with them and no one's and, like, <laughs> they're, walking, they're walking in different directions. And 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 flop, <laughs> flop did it first, and then tried to hand it off to the what's the girl's name? B had B. No, stop the B fab. B fab. B. Well, she's worse. She's worse than flop is. And and it just it, it like you said, the people are just staring like, what in the fuck is going on here? And, the, and so. But they do that, and then suddenly the lights go out. And Bray Wyatt's music and lighting comes up and suddenly appear. They don't do the whole long entrance. Thank God. The laughter has stopped. Uh, but <laughs> that day the laughter stopped. Suddenly Bray Wyatt and Captain Howdy are on e the apron of the ring on opposite sides of the ring and, 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 what was flop and Adonis and be have be have be had be fab behind they're all surrounded beehive <laughs> and that and there you go beehive I can remember that one <laughs> and basically <laughs> they they get in and Bray Wyatt they don't even trust flop to even take a fucking Double team. They he grabs Flop Dollar and he throws him over the top rope. And Michael Cole insults him on the way out. Is that at least he got over it that time? And then they grab Adonis and they uh, Abigail him, and he lays there in the ring, not moving, while Bray Wyatt gets the microphone and does his promo. And I don't know why in the world they did not have the guy take the move and roll out because laying there, not moving, it was, it became distracting fake. And it, and at some point comedic that this guy's not going to even move. He's dead and nobody's run out there to check on him just because this guy's talking on a microphone. Boom. Take the bump, roll out to the floor. You've done your fucking business. Thank you for coming and focus on the talent in the ring. However, the talent in the ring was Bray Wyatt and Uncle Howdy, or Captain... What is his name? Is it Boy Howdy, Uncle Howdy, or Captain Howdy? You said Captain before, and I thought that was... It's Uncle, I think. It's Uncle. It's his uncle. He's the uncle of Howdy Doody. Well, there's Howdy. Well, and you remember Howdy Doody's wife, Debbie. Debbie Doody? She had no comment on his death. They didn't take Howdy Doody out to personal appearances because they didn't want to damage the puppet. They had photo duty. Seriously, that's what they call them. <laughs> Photo duty. Photo duty. 
Okay, well, anyway, speaking of the duty in the ring, Bray Wyatt tells Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley that if the lights go out, they should run. And I'm like, oh, God, we all need to run if he's going to work with either one of those two. Although I would love to see Brock just throw everyone around that's involved with this. Like one of those Brock meltdowns where he just takes down the lighting rig. Yeah, I just, okay, yeah, just fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. I'm done with this. Let me just throw everybody away. But so that was that. Uh, the, the lights went out and they went to the break. And and then the another controversial situation happened that we i think we talked about it earlier it's been so long earlier in the program with ariel hawani one of his stand-ups that apparently tony khan lost his mind over out in the crowd with the fans cheering and supporting hometown Sami Zayn. and uh hey, then, let me let me stop yep. you right there because we really haven't talked about what did you think of this crowd because by this point of the show and especially these stand-ups with ariel in the crowd that wasn't just a crowd happy to be on camera that was a crowd happy for the moment. What did you think of that? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what's saving them. And I'm sure the Elimination Chamber that we have to report on after we watch that uh, later on, um, they're going to be live. The cra- And Montreal, think about this. Not only has Montreal always been a top wrestling city when they had a local hero, whether it be the Rougeaus or whether it be you know, uh, uh, Jacques later on, Rougeau, he was the last, Jacques Rougeau was running independent shows that would draw ten or 15,000 people in the forum 20 years ago. And, and now they always come out and support a local hero. So, you know, this is, uh, they're lucky they booked this two-night stand, as they say, uh, because the crowd is helping them out a lot in this. This hadn't been a great show, I bet, for the people to watch live, but they don't care because they're just they're just involved in the weekend. I bet you a lot of these people are going to be at both. So, I would think they would have tried to give them a little help on this SmackDown to start the uh, weekend off right. But Jesus Christ, we Seamus and Drew against the Vikings now, and. As is the pattern, 43 minutes into the show, the bell rings for the second match, and they get 90 seconds of wrestling in, and we go to the break. And it's not like anybody wants to see this match anyway, because, God damn it. Again, as we've said, this is the stalest bunch of Vikings, brawlers, brutes, and the other guys. It's, you know, and... Yeah, it looks like they need Bill Dundee to come to town and be the booker. That's what this looks like when you see this. Mid-South, right before Dundee. Uh, And they came back and they went four more minutes and Seamus gave the Viking a big move off the top rope and they went to the break again. (laughs) And then they come back and they do about another four minutes and then Drew wins with the, the big kick. So they got like less than 10 minutes of match on the air broken up by over six minutes, almost seven minutes of commercials. But at the top of the nine o'clock hour, we know what's paying the rent and the light bill around there these days, because they continued the bloodline and Sammy Zane package with them turning on Sammy and beating him up at the rumble and coming up to present day. So we're up on that uh, story. 
And then we get Oscar versus Liv Morgan with Carmella on color. And Oscar's entrance started at 9.04 and the bell rang at 9.14 after they went to the break and they showed a package and they had other people talk and the announcers were with Ed Black. And, and it was the best match on the show so far. Well, that's faint praise, by the way. So they milk it for 10 minutes. They go one minute. Raquel Rodriguez Gonzalez de Molina comes to ringside to yell at Carmella. And Nikki Cross comes down to the desk to start kissing Michael Cole on the head and then bounces up and down on the desk like she's riding a portable Sibian. Google that one, kids. No, do not do that, kids. And <laughs> S-Y-B-I-A. Stop it! Do not do that, kids. Get your parents' permission first. And after two minutes of this match, they go to the break. So then they come back, and Nikki is still on the announce desk asking Michael Cole, will you be my friend? And Natalia has showed up at ringside, and, and Carmella is talking and sounds like Moon Zappa. And <laughs> after about three minutes of that, Oscar wins, and all the girls jump in and do moves to each other. Moon Unit Zappa? Moon Unit Zappa. <laughs> and that's, that's what I saw there. Did, did I miss anything? Would you like to jump in on that one? Uh, you know, I, I like Oscar, and I thought... The action in the ring was okay. I hate, in general, before any kind of event coming up with multiple people, they always, always, always have to do this where two of the participants or some of the participants are in a match, and then the other ones are at ringside, and the other ones come down, and everyone gets involved because we're going to have the match tomorrow. They always do that. Each girl didn't even get one minute. There, the, the segment was shorter in minutes than the number of girls that were all interacting and fighting and arguing, and so how do you keep it? fucking straight i like that raquel gonzalez's thing is it gonzalez or rodriguez now what is it now legitimately what is it rodriguez raquel rodriguez, rodriguez. richard ramirez is what her name is going to be by next week i probably. don't think so i think they may regret that like they did when they named gunther after a nazi but <laughs> raquel rodriguez what i was going to say is my favorite thing about her is that like her gimmick is look i have a back that's all it is. It's just well, yeah. turning around and showing you, like, look, yeah. it's here. Well, <laughs> might as well not show the front because that's the only place where nature short. Oh, stop it. Be nice. You see, you have to get rude. You have to take this down. To but the I wasn't being rude. I was just making an observation. Everything there didn't stop. Didn't you see, fill out like the, the observation rest. ended. You, you didn't have to return to the observation. <laughs> You just decided to observe then. some more. You're a real observer over there. I'm a real observer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. So Gunther was in the back talking about Madcap Moss. And as soon as I heard Madcap Moss, I rolled my eyes because I love Gunther so much. But this guy. <sighs> but I got I've had to watch it because of Gunther. And now I'm not mad at Moss anymore. I'm mad at everybody else that's had a hand in whatever they have done with his fucking career. Uh, by the way, it was only seven minutes on this match from the start of the entrances to the bell by the time they got all their shit out of the way. 
but he's still named Madcap Moss, and he's got the fucking girl in his corner. Some random girl. What's her name? Emma? Emma. She's not some random girl. It's Emma. It's Emma. What's her, Emma Peel? I would, I'd buy Diana Rigg. I'd take her. But so her name is Emma. Emma. Who gives it? Well, and over there's Carol. And well, there, there's Gertrude. Well, she's I a, don't give. <laughs> they share. There's Madonna. Okay. Liza. Over. I know who they are. I don't know who Emma is because she ain't over. He's a baby face. He's fighting Gunther. Why have they got it? They're doing this fucking dramatic horse shit. The entertainment bullshit that the writers come up with, with him and some fucking chick. Fuck. Haven't they done enough? Won't they piss in this guy's mouth while he's down there? Can we say something positive? It, I'm about to. Okay. I'm saying this has been complete <laughs> talent goddamn assassination. And this that's guy, awesome. that's positive. Because, because this guy doesn't deserve it. He still got the name Madcap, and he's got the girl you in his can't corner. Get past Madcap, but now, but no, I'm trying to finish my thought. But now he's wearing tights. He's got gear on, boots and tights. His physique is incredible. He's got size. He's a good-looking young fella. He's athletic. He's aggressive. They started out at a fast pace, and they were laying shit in. Remember, he's now against also. Gunther, one of the best workers in the business right now, before he was he was making goofy jokes and laughing and wearing suspenders and colored fucking, you know, Emmett Kelly clown outfits and hanging around with Baron Von Corbin when he was happy and it was all silly and you never got a chance to see him work and do anything. Now, it, it's, I wrote, it is criminal. What they did to this guy and that they haven't dropped the madcap name is insane. And they're, uh, like I said, sticking with this random fucking girl. It, it, they went three minutes to the break, but it was actually a good three minutes. They were, they started at a fast pace. They were laying their shit in and this guy was there for everything. And when they came back, they were still going toe to toe and you were telling, you could tell that Gunther what if, if, even if he was instructed to, he was certainly going above and beyond to make it a back and forth toe to toe match to try to elevate this guy. And the guy was carrying his end of the fucking deal. And finally, they did a chop battle, and finally Moss opened up and made a comeback. More everything made sense. The work looked good. Nobody cares about Moss in the crowd. Nobody gave two shits. But that wasn't his fault. That's the way they presented him and what they've done to a guy now that we see can do shit like this. And he wouldn't stop fighting. And he he gave Gunther a sack of shit slam off the top rope. Gunther at 260 or whatever he still is. So the guy's strong as a fucking bull. Got a two count. Nobody bought the two count. Because they know that it's Madcap Moss and he's been a joke and he'll... That's the way they have put him in their minds now. And Gunther got the sleeper and the fans started singing Genericos, ole, 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 ole. And finally, it's been a, a, a great match, though, just judging it by a match. And then suddenly, out of the sleeper, 
Moss is struggling, and Gunther just turns him around, picks him up, and power bombs him. Boom. One, two, three. Out of the fucking blue. Out of nowhere, even. Moss, good God. I mean, he's actually, from that match, just looking at what he did and not what Gunther would have even led him to do, just looking at his performance of it and what he was doing on his own, I, I always say a lot of times, I'd like a guy like so-and-so in OVW. I would love to have this guy in OVW. He would He's already surpassed that. He's ready to be on the fucking roster. But, you know, if he's been a fucking prospect like this and they have done this to... And nobody, I don't think now, they'll never yeah. take him seriously. I don't think you can possibly reverse this. They treated him like you had him in OVW. Boys, boy, they sure did, didn't they? Uh, but I, I, it, it's a shame. I don't see how they're, if he goes away and they forget about him entirely, the fans I'm talking about, and they forget that a madcap Moss exists and maybe in nine months they could, if he grows his hair out or does something different and give him a different name, maybe this, you know, you have something here. Or if he went to AEW at some point and obviously would have to have a different name, maybe they wouldn't know or they'd feel sorry for him over there. But God, this guy's fucking great. And it's, I think at this point, it's too late. Hey, if I could say one other positive thing, the promo beforehand, Guther could really talk. I didn't realize how good his English was. I guess I haven't watched too many of his promos. Yeah. He could really talk, but... I really like Imperium together. Like when you just watch them backstage and you see their facial expressions behind him, they're actually really, really good together right now. Yeah, and and Gunther can talk. He's not a he has just enough accent that it fits the gimmick, and not enough accent that you can't understand him or that he's not articulate in English, as you said. So it, it's perfect. Uh, but anyway, now it's time for our main event of the evening, the interview. And again, and boy, this sure was the, it, it, they had one match with Gunther and Moss that was actually worth watching and 10 minutes of an interview where the guy didn't even have to speak for five minutes of it because the crowd was so loud and that was the best thing on the show. So that's why I say that not only a weird go-home program, but also may have devalued the fucking sale price. But here comes Sammy, and in Montreal, what an ovation. And they're singing, I don't even know. Now his tune has a whoa, 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 whoa that they can sing. And then ole, 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 ole. Well, that's his old song. That was his old song. Well, yes, but but... I know that's, but the new song, I don't know the tune, but there's more whoa in his new song. And it like, no, he doesn't have a new song. His new song is the old song. Is that the old song? Yeah. Well, I love the old song. (laughs) Whatever song he's got, I'm not talking about a a new song, old song. I mean, Ole, Ole, Ole was what they sang for El Generico. That's what I'm saying. That's the old thing they used to do for him long ago. And now they're playing his, his song that's got the whoa, whoa that they can sing along also. 
whatever. There's a lot of woe and go, woe and oh, and ole, ole, oh, and everybody's got a, oh, and Seth Rollins with the, oh, eh, oh, whoa, or whatever. Where's Andrade? Ole, ole, oh. <laughs> I don't know who the, but nevertheless, Sammy comes out and he's over and they, and he doesn't have to speak for minutes. I think it was like five minutes. And they chanted, you deserve it. And Sammy, Sammy, and ole, 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 ole. And Sammy was great because he, on his face, he went through all the emotions. He was touched. He was laughing. He was serious. He had a tear coming down his cheek. And without saying a word, this was the five best minutes of the fucking show. Sammy Zayn standing in the ring, the crowd coming all over themselves and the emotion showing on Sammy's face that was actually genuine. And then all he had to do is do the promo, which he did. You know, WrestleMania, everybody thinks is the big show, but the elimination chamber is once in a lifetime. And he spoke French and got a big pop because they're, they're by up there. Everybody in Montreal is by, you know. Bilingual. They say, yeah, they speak both the the English and the French. And then he just said, it's 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 tomorrow night. It's Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn and the entire city of Montreal. And Roman, you're going down. Oh, big pop and more singing and more music. I mean, it was perfect. That was per- and somebody, somebody tweeted, yeah, said that's a. Cornette said that El Generico would never be a star. And I was right. He never was. Sami Zayn is. But El Generico never was. This is the fucking guy. And you remember um, the gimmick, Brian. So you can testify to what has been... The best part of the bloodline Sammy issue, has it been the matches or has it been the verbal interplay between Sammy and the rest of the group? Verbal interplay and facial expressions. Well, El Generico was a mute and he didn't have facial expressions because he had a mask on and he was named after a fucking rib to be a generic luchador when he was really a ginger Muslim from Montreal. He refused to speak even when his promotion was bought by a television company and didn't want to lose the gimmick. And what was my assessment of the guy underneath? He can work his ass off. He can sell, especially as a babyface, and he's remarkably deceptively strong for his puny physique. And I never knew whether he could talk or not because he refused to do it. But now, 10 years later, with no mask, a different name, (laughs) and actually speaking in two different languages instead of none, he's one of the biggest stars in the business. Who could have possibly predicted? <sighs> but that was the uh, go home. I mean, that's uh, the only thing really that sold the pay per view on this 
program was Sammy, but like I said, at that point, maybe they figured if, if they haven't already decided to get it, they're not gonna. What do you think? You know, the other thing is, I'm looking through the uh, notes here. Other than Oscar versus Liv and everyone that ran into that, no one else on this show other than Sammy is even on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, they wanted to give him the night before to rest up. <laughs> Build up the matches on uh, the pay-per-view. <laughs> That's yeah. But before we talk about the pay-per-view, we're going to have one of those time lag deals where we're going to go away, but the folks are never going to know it. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the pay-per-view because it will have happened by then. What in the wide world of sports is going on at the Arcadian Vanguard Wrestling News end of the uh, building today? Well, let's do this quick because it's been a long show, but we still have a ways to go. Get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook. Of course, get the wrestling news every day for free. Your daily wrestling morning newscast at thewrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! <laughs> That's right. Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. That took a lot of energy. Uh, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The well boy howdy that 12 hours flew by in a heartbeat didn't it brian i need that breakfast i need coffee this is ridiculous oh come on now we've we've gone away and come back before the people had a chance to miss us and how can you miss us if we won't go away but now we have seen the Elimination Chamber. <laughs> okay. We should have some dramatic music. The dun 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 dun, like the angry muskrat. Or did we ever determine what he muskrat. was? The angry oh, squirrel. This thing people again? told me. Yeah. Yeah. People told me, and I forgot what he was again. Squirrel, muskrat, ocelot, duck-billed platypus. He was grumpy. Anyway, I would have been grumpy. Under normal circumstances, if I'd have watched this live, because the ladies' elimination chamber match was on first, and God, again, even if you like the girl wrestling, isn't an elimination chamber match before the elimination chamber match like having dinner before you go out to dinner? I don't have a problem with the women having an elimination match because, look, there's like two ends of the spectrum. AEW who uses their women like crap, and WWE at least gives them the opportunity to have the same kind of matches the men do. But I agree with you in the sense that I would, as a promoter, I would have two separate cards with two separate elimination chambers. Well, did anybody seriously think I'd watch this? It was a good match. It was fine. Oh, it was fun. It was fine. It there were moments. Asuka was good. Liv Morgan was selling really nicely. Uh, Raquel, she's got that back. She showed she her off her back. back. And then, maybe uh, got back. Who else was it? Carmella. Carmella had her moments with her comedy. And who else was in this? And uh, Nikki. A co comedy in an elimination chamber. We're putting all of you in a cage in separate pods. And when the horn sounds, you'll have to come out and fight. And the last person remaining and comedy. 
No, but it was it was all right. And then Nikki Cross is kind of like the roughhouse Fargo of the division. She just comes. Oh, now cut now crazy do not stuff. The memory of the fabulous <laughs> Fargo brothers. My fa- my favorite nickname still is when she went from Nikki Ash to Nikki A S H, and you decided to just start calling her Nikki Ass. <laughs> well, that's what she's still making out of herself. Uh, but it was what, fine. It, it was all right. It's this this pale, fishy, white, doughy girl running around acting like a goof that obviously she's acting too goofy. I agree with that. But she's the crazy. She's the crazy one in the division. Okay, then send her to therapy. I don't know what to tell you, but she did, it doesn't. No, God damn it. Anyway, she's the, Carl, she's the killer Carl Cox of the women's division. Oh Jesus Christ. Oscar won, and 35 minutes of pay-per-view time disappeared. 35 minutes by the time this was over. It was a good match. You would, you know what? If you had given it a chance, you may have liked moments at different when points. I, when, I, when I talk about the men's elimination chamber, I will illustrate, and it's not even anything against, well, yeah, it is against most of these women. Natalia, she's, Raquel's got some potential. Natalia, I forgot she was in there, too. She was actually, in, this was one of the best uh, showings from Natalia I've seen in a while. She was well, great Well, she's, she's in Canada. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, uh, for the same reasons as when we get to the men's match, I'll talk about it. They had a gimmick match that needed participants rather than participants that needed a gimmick match. That's to foreshadow it. But let's move on to the opening of the wrestling program with men fighting with a grudge for some reason boy you're you're over the top with this now <laughs> they're gonna i'm just it's I'm not even the start of the program you, you won't even give them that sanitized but give me some fucking somebody that's mad at each other gonna get in a fucking fight God damn it. That's over five foot six. Someone should bus all of these women wrestlers to your front lawn so they could yell, yeah. acknowledge me, acknowledge yeah, well, me. I, I would. I'd be picking them off from up here on a third floor office picture with. Oh, stop with. it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Brock versus Lashley. I've, I'm a pretty deadly son of a gun with a slingshot or a bow and arrow. I've got some of those suction cup bow. I could plant one right on fucking old Nikki's forehead. It'd stick there like fucking uh, Richard Pryor and the toy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Okay. They've now fired this thing back up. They've switched Lashley back heel. Brock has suddenly become a baby face. Smiling Brock and suit wearing pissy ass Bobby Lashley. They're mad at each other. They've been hammering each other, laying each other out. And now here we go. Ding, ding, ding. Some smash mouth men's wrestling. (sighs) Did the match last longer than the entrances? I, I didn't go back and put a stopwatch on both, but you could actually count the moves in the match. (laughs) They, they, they opened up hot and Brock roughed up Bobby. And then Bobby came back with a spear and got a two count and a second spear and a hurt lock. But Brock blocked it and picked Bobby up and hit him with an F5 and got a two count. And a second F5 and got a two count. And by that point, they're selling this stuff, which they should, but they slowed down two minutes in and into some more big stuff and 
a two count and both are selling and Brock went for the third F5 and Bobby pushed him off and speared him and he milked the hurt lock for fucking ever and then got it and Brock couldn't break it so he just went back and mule kicked Lashley in the nuts and the referee calls for the disqualification. That was it. I mean, I... Obviously, they think, because there's no definitive winner or whatever, that they're going to book this again. But after that match, should they book this again? Plus, Bray Wyatt just called out the winner on SmackDown. Yes. And so, I, I, I mean, I was dumbfounded. That that's and then of course you know they give the people the Brock rampage Brock F five's the referee and F five's Bobby again and shit cans Lashley to the floor and F five's him through the announce desk and F five's the referee on the broken desk and it walked off but in the meantime what the f- <sighs> wait wait a minute hold on I'll. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's the third match. It's the rubber match. They, I guess, clearly wanted Lashley to win. If they want the direction of Lashley and the Hurt Business against Bray Wyatt and his puppet friends. And they wanted Lashley to, uh, not Lashley, but Lesnar to lose without looking terribly weak. I guess. I won't tap, but I'll kick you in the nuts. And then they get to see him kill everyone afterwards you forget Lashley even won I don't know I think they they should have been going for people forgetting this match actually happened why build this up after multiple matches and multiple contract signings on TV in the last few weeks and everything if this was going to be the end of it right that's if you don't have a finish don't book the fucking match and when you build something up like this to be on a big pay-per-view event or some type of a big a premium live event, whatever they're calling it these days, and then you give them that, then it kind of hurts their faith in the next time you build up a match they might want to see. Well, it's just going to be the bullshit. We can skip it in four minutes. Somebody will kick somebody in the nuts. Whatever they're going to think, it's not going to be favorable. And I understand the reasons that you just gave for wanting to protect this guy or that guy or the other. So maybe they shouldn't have booked the fucking match because they, they control that. If they didn't have a palatable way to get out of it, why'd they get into it? When was the last time you saw a double count out? Um, it's been a while. And you know what? That's one thing from the old days in wrestling that I'm not sorry to see go. Cause they were always flattered in four o'clock. Yeah. Always. And the only time it wasn't was when, you know, it, 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 you just emptied the dressing room and had the big giant pull apart and everybody got all that action and they, you know, forgot about it. But even then, it, it, it had to be the right situation with the right people. And it wasn't the end of the program as a, a step in the road. But but the old, I'll just pull you off the apron, then you pull me off the apron. That got that lazy booking. It, it even happened back in those days, folks. But nevertheless, um, Brock, we need you to lose. Okay, but I don't want to be pinned. All right. And I also won't submit. 
okay? And you can't knock me out. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of run out of things you could do. And after I lose, I have to kill everyone. So are, are you saying he was he was calling to get advice on his finishes from Mil Moscaris? <laughs> is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, yes. All right. Did you see, speaking of packages, did you see Seth Franklin Rollins finally has come out of the, the closet and admitted that he is indeed the Joker. Did you see that? See, I thought the real star of the show was Becky as Batman. Well, that's what I was... I, I knew it had to be from a Batman movie, but I wasn't exactly sure why. I thought she just maybe had a sore throat. I think she was Batman. I, mean, I, I don't know what, what else this could be. I don't... <laughs> but Becky and, and Seth Franklin did a bit where he was dressed as the Joker and dancing in slow motion. And then Becky came up and had a very gravelly voice and they had some repartee between the two of them. But now he's officially outed himself. It is the Joker he's doing. It has been all along. It was you, Joker! It still sucks. And then they did a really good Cody package. And I thought at this point, I'm watching a pay-per-view for the fucking packages. And then Ariel Hawani was in the front row with George St. Pierre. They're in Montreal. And that, and again, a guy of the level, the name recognition, and especially in that market of St. Pierre being in the front row for a WWE show, that's that's a big deal. And, and they really course, they really laid it on about Hawani, didn't they? Well, I was about to say, Michael Cole said, Well, there's Ariel Hawani. He asked the hard questions, whether you want to answer them or not. <laughs> And then you, you know, a, a, every time they'd say something like that, a snowman in Florida catches fire. So anyway, then they do a package on Edge and Beth and the Judgment Day. And I'm thinking, I'm really hoping I'm going to like this. And spoiler, I did. Um, Edge and Beth against Rhea Ripley and Finn Balor. And this was better with Finn, not only because you did need, you know, a, a guy that has more experience, a little bit more, uh, you know, ring awareness than Priest at this point for the match. And also somebody need to drop the fall. I think I predicted that as soon as we heard about the match. But it was mostly Beth versus Rhea. And we got a chance to see Rhea work with another girl that's comparable in size and has experience and can work. They had one little awkward moment early on and regrouped it, but these girls, they look like stars and they they're over and they look like something and they can work. And, you know, that was, I think uh, this is another one of Ripley's, steps up the ladder where you can see that she can be put in a lot of different positions and come out, you know, looking good. Dominic missed the first interference cutoff spot on Beth and <laughs> had to trip her a second time and finally got it. And they got heat on Beth. And then Beth, they were milking the, the trying to milk the hot tag Beth to edge. And at one point he had, she had hit the DDT and crawled for the tag, but Finn pulled Edge off the apron so she couldn't make the tag. And again, these girls, they they turned it up. 
Rhea tried the glam slam, best glam slam off the buckles, but Beth fought out of it and hit a superplex off the top. Both of them sold it. And then we actually saw a hot tag. Because I don't know where Beth kicked Ripley into Balor. Boom, and Dovin made a hot tag. And here comes Edge. Big comeback, and they get their little modified sharpshooter deals. What is the education or the edge? It's it's a play on words, whatever the name of the holes are. But Beth gets Rhea, and Edge gets Balor. And then Dominic jumps up, draws the referee, and pitches Ripley brass knucks, and Ripley nails Edge. And Finn covered for a two count. Edge had to turn his shoulder. Beth was one second late on a save. But then the girls go to the floor. Finn goes for the stomp off the top. Beth stops him. Both girls powerbombed both guys. They were already up on the ropes. They didn't have to pick them up from scratch. But that was a nice spot. And then uh, at the finish, you know, they'd lined up. Ripley's going to smash. Beth with the chair on the steps, which is, again, a bit much, but Beth foiled it and turned it into a glam slam on the floor, and Edge dropped Balor and dove out on Dominic, and then jumped in, speared Finn Balor, and Edge and Beth hit <laughs> FTR's finish, for whatever reason. Uh, on Because they're friends, that's why. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, on Balor 1-2-3... And uh, boom, the right team won. The baby faces had to win this. It was a good match. The, you know, I mean, what else? Can, tell me what you thought. Am I being too effusive? Was I just too happy that they finally gave us something worth watching? I thought it was really good. I think maybe a little too effusive, at least for my uh, sensibilities. I thought it was a little too sloppy at times, not just the Dominic spot. There were a few other moments. I will say, though, to me, this match was one thing. It was the Rhea Ripley show. Whether it was the makeup on her eyes whenever she was selling and her eyes would get wide and it looked incredible, but every time she sold, yeah, couldn't take my eyes off her. And it's not just because she's a beautiful woman for you dirty people out there. You dirty, dirty people. But like in the best way a wrestler makes it so that the little things they do are the things that stand out. To me... She was the star of the whole match. Everything she did looked incredible. And uh, that's that's really my big takeaway here. It was an all right match, though. And, you know, again... Crowd got really hot a, for the finish. Yes, there was a personal issue. You know, the people hate Dominic, and he was able to... You know, they were able to use him at ringside, but there was a personal issue. People know who each person is, and everything in the match made sense. Even if there were a few bobbles, I'd, I'd again rather people try to put together something coherent from start to finish and maybe bobble in the middle than just bobble all the time because they're just jumping back and forth for no apparent reason. Uh, speaking of no apparent reason, they did a package on The Miz. Why? Why? I wrote. They have pushed this clown to the moon for years for no explicable fucking reason. He does everything they like. Well, he don't do everything I like. Every now and then, he's involved in a segment, and you're like, you know, I have to give it to the guy. He's all right. And then the next week, you forget all about that. <laughs> and you're right back to, why is this guy on my TV? I hate this guy. He looks like a frog. Whatever it is that you say. 
All right, nevertheless, now it's time for the men's elimination chamber, which is Austin for the U.S. title, Austin Theory versus Montez Ford versus Bronson Reed versus Damian Priest versus Seth Franklin Rollins versus Johnny Gargano. And the entrances took 12 minutes. I guess that's not as bad with six guys. And actually, the entrances on the pay-per-view are quicker than the ones on Raw. The negatives I will talk about to begin with. At first, it's hard to take this anything seriously with Gargano in it. Secondly, everything is so clean and sanitized. There's not, we know there's not going to be any blood, but there's this awesome looking gimmick cage with the chain links. And it's not the war games. It's not a cage match. It's not the ultimate settling of a conflict between two individuals or two opposing forces or parties, teams, whatever. It's modern wrestling where they now have decided they have, they have decided to theme a pay-per-view after a gimmick match. And then they decide who to put in it rather than the stipulation coming from the people involved in the match. Do you, do you, instead of having an angle between the two parties of whatever and making the stipulation fit the program to blow it off, such as Dusty did with the War Games or every other gimmick match, the invention of same was... That was the reason for it in all the history of wrestling. Now they've just decided we're going to have a gimmick match and now we'll figure out who to put in it. When you and, when you created Hell in a Cell, I'm pretty sure you didn't think, okay, now here's your new annual pay-per-view event. No, I no, it was an ultimate blow-off match, and we had to tweak different parts of a regular cage match, not only to make it different and sellable as even more dangerous, but also to fit the finish that we wanted to do to introduce Kane. But, you know, and, and that's not to say that we were never going to do it again, because that's great when you establish a match like that. You want it, then that, that's why that gimmick matches drew, drew and draw, or used to draw, whether it be the Texas death match, or the cage match, or the whatever the stipulation is, because the first time that the people saw it, it was the blow-off to a big major feud rivalry championship, you know, whatever the fuck, amongst two main event guys or opposing forces that did such a hell of a job that you remember it afterwards. So then, maybe a year, a year and a half down the road, or to whatever, two years, whenever it may be that something comes up again, that you have another program between two opposing forces that the hell in a cell or the Texas death match or the chain match or whatever that match may be would fit perfectly. Then you have it. And then you tell PA, remember how great the first one was. Well, imagine what's going with these two. That is why stipulation matches and gimmick matches work. If you had just started out with saying, 
before there had ever been a cage match in wrestling. Saturday night at the Omni, we're going to have a big cage around the ring. And we're going to put wrestlers in it and they're going to fight. Would that, would the cage match have ever become a thing? You put the cage before the horse in that case, to coin a phrase. I'm not going to belabor this anymore, but God damn it. Well, this is, unfortunately, this gimmick match has become like the Royal Rumble, where it's an annual tradition between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. Yes, and that's why that, you know, people just watch for guys to do moves to each other. And then you've got really, you've got a couple of real main event guys in this match, and a couple that could be there one day, and a couple that ain't never going to be there. And the crowd, they do Seth Franklin's, whoa, and blah 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 so gargano and seth franklin started and the crowd sang because they they were bored i guess theory came in and looks great he beat up gargano and seth and then they teamed up on him and uh, theory was trying to be to keep himself entertaining and do shit that fits him he tried to hide in one of the pods he closed the door so uh, Gargano could. He was get hiding in, from but, Gargano. That's the biggest problem I had with that well, spot. Well, but at least he's trying to be inventive. But I agree, it is hard to take hiding from Gargano. But Seth comes in the rear, and they get him in the pod, and, like beat him up in a phone booth, and then Priest comes in and beats up everybody. But the point is, until everybody gets in and shit starts happening, it drags, and people were on their hands a lot because you can't have a match. With these stipulations and this setup, you can just have guys doing moves to each other and coming up with different moves to do to each other. It can't make sense. There's no personal issue. There's no clear grudge. There's no two sides. It's meaningless action dressed up with a set and a budget. So now that we've said that, Bronson Reed comes in, does big man stuff, and looks great. Montez Ford came in. I get, they're going to obviously try to make him a single. And I think athletically, he has all the talent in the world. He looks in good shape. I don't know that he has a lot of personality. He looks like one of the the fucking Cosby kids on the Cosby show. He's just kind of there. Well, there was only um, one boy in the house, and that was Malcolm Jamal Warner. He doesn't look anything like him. Well, then what, uh, what, what show am I thinking of? He looks like the guy on the CBS morning show, Nate Burleson, the former NFL football player. He looks exactly like him, except for the hair. I don't, I don't watch that show. So, well, he looks, he looks like some boring fucking guy from a show that I've seen in some part of town. <laughs> anyway, they're making him from, they're trying to make him a single. And he can do a lot of shit athletically, but I don't know that, the 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 people weren't they were popping on the shit he was doing but nobody thought he was going to win this thing because they're not far enough along yet doing whatever they're doing making him a single but he dove off top of the cage and then three guys triple teamed reed and ford splashed him one two three and he was out i would have kept him around a little longer there's you know again gargano just being in something with grown folks is but there's talent that I like in this match. Oh, I wrote here, I don't want to see Led Zeppelin play basketball either. So even though there's people I like in this match, I don't like what they're doing. Anyway, finally, Priest beat Gargano, Gargano or Gargano, yay. 
And then Ford beat up the other two for a while, but tried to splash on Theory, and Theory got his knees up, and then Seth stomped him, and Theory pinned him. And he, when Seth gave him the curb stomp, he stomped him face, side of his face first into the, the, the platform around the ring, which looks to be plywood or whatever. And then we got Seth and Theory, which is where I would have thought that it would have come down to to begin with. And I'd rather actually probably have seen a single match between them. It would have been good. However, Brian, what is your opinion? Have you heard anything about Ford really getting hurt or was that a work? I haven't heard anything, and I thought it was a work to get the door open. Okay, well, the reason why that I thought it wasn't a work when it was happening... After it happened, because, I thought it was a work, I should say. Well, yeah, well, when it was happening, I thought, there's no way he's got to be hurt because they're killing the fucking finish. And then when I saw that... I'll tell the people what happened. Seth and Theory start. Seth hits a powerbomb and gets a two-count. Ford is still laying there. And they call the other referees in, and then the security guys or the doctors or the minions who whatever they are. Give him credit. He was doing a great job of selling that he was hurt. Well, yes, he was. That's why I bought it at first. But the problem was, Seth and Theory had just got started. They did one move, and then they had to lay there and fucking sell. And it stopped the whole thing. And and I, I wrote... <laughs> If this was a work, it's the worst idea ever because that took so long to get Ford out of the ring and he's stumbling and he really did a good job of you would believe he was hurt, but it brought the whole thing to a goddamn halt. And then they gave him the golf clap when they're carrying him out. So now the people's attention is completely off of Seth and theory. And then as soon as they, got Ford out of there, they had to start back at full speed, going from selling, and now the people, they started getting back into it, but it just derailed everything. And I, the reason they did that was to leave the fucking door open. Jesus H. Christ. Because as soon as Seth hits the pedigree and starts milking the, the curb stomp, then Logan Paul shows up through the open door onto the apron, Gives the, uh, Seth the buckshot lariat and a curb stomp right in front of the referee because no disqualification. And in theory, hits his finish one, two, three. And I'm like, geez, again, this is the, the uh, there used to be a phrase called disgusting heat, which was not disgusting heat like you were offended because they were too bloody or whatever. You got disgusted because you either got mad at the referee or mad at the promotion because you didn't like the finish and it was kind of obviously bullshit. Because the referee either was buried or something was allowed to happen that shouldn't have been allowed and the fans get disgusted, disgusting heat, instead of mad at the heel heat. And I'm thinking that if they keep giving them these bullshit finishes, that it's more disgusting heat for people that tuned in the big show. But you tell me, what do you think? I don't know if that's the case in this specific example, only because in this example, the 
major gimmick match that the event is named after isn't even the main event, and it's certainly not the match those people really came for. <laughs> so if there was ever a time you could do this, this was probably the one. It was a surprise. I mean, I think it was a surprise. I mean, maybe some people thought it, but you didn't hear too many people saying, I bet Logan Paul will be there. It was a clever way to get him in the cage because even experts were questioning what was happening with Montez Ford. And then all of a sudden he hit, by the way, he hits the buckshot lariat better than... Better than hangnail. Better than hangnail. Maybe Logan Paul should name that something after himself and take that move because he owns it at this point. We're going to get Logan Paul and Franklin. That'll be interesting. Theory gets a win. He never really gets a clear-cut win. He's a heel, but maybe he isn't presented strong enough. I mean, he's running from Johnny Gargano and hiding from Johnny Gargano in this match. No one would ever hide from Johnny Gargano. <laughs> he was trying to be a heel and work with the tools he had in front of him, I guess. What'd you think of the Montez yeah. Ford spot where he dropped himself like a bomb? Yeah, that... I mean, again, it's he's got such athletic moves and can get such spring and such height off of the top rope or whatever he dives off of. In this case, he was completely upside down, hanging from that roof and just dropped and spun around and cross-bodied everybody. I think if they're going to make him a single, then I, I know they want him just to have a good performance in the thing, but I would have, I would have tried to break him loose a little bit before this. And that way, when he comes into this thing, he's at least had some kind of track record. And, and you know, the people might have taken him more seriously because, again, they popped on his moves, but nobody thought Gargano was really going to win this thing, I don't think. Nobody thought Montez Ford was going to win it because he's a tag team guy and they marginalized their tag teams. I think everybody always thought it was either going to be Theory or Seth to begin with. And that's, you know, Something like this, when it's with six top guys and you can't really, maybe one or two might be shady, but you can't really pick who's going to be the last ones and who's going to win, you know, it's easier to take. But I, yeah, whatever. The people, like you said, this was a forgiving crowd that came to see the main event. If you're going to put a Bronson Reed in this match, is this the way to do it? Have him eat multiple finishers one after another to justify him losing? I guess I don't know why Reed at this stage of the game had to be in there to begin with instead of, but well, I do know cause they got nobody else over. We keep talking about it, but it's, it's early for Reed to, to just get pinned and, you know, slink off into the darkness also. Hey, you know the, how do they get out when they're eliminated? How do they get out? So the referee lets them out. Yeah, well, why did Ford have to lay there for fucking 45 seconds? And fucking <laughs> six people come in and carry him, and then they accidentally leave the door open when the door opens every time somebody gets eliminated and somebody had just gotten eliminated. Even before he got up, he did a good job of selling on the mat. Oh, he did a great job. When they job were on of top of him checking on him, I thought he was really hurt for a second. He sold like an auctioneer, but they were going <laughs> to open the door anyway. Yes. Yeah. I don't know about their door maintenance, if that's your question. I yeah. will say, hey, I will say, though, um, surprisingly, after we did a segment on the drive-thru about the dirty wrestling rings, and you talked about Vince using a clean mat, a clean yes. canvas for every Raw, 
Apparently the policy now is a clean canvas for every match. Jesus Christ. Okay, so. and so and what they do is they put like five or six of them on top of each other and then yeah. just roll one off. Tear away. Yeah, but that's it's like a $10,000 canvas budget for each taping. If they, well, maybe that maybe they do that now and they don't change them out after each time. Because when Vince started, it was a new one for every TV taping, but you left the same one on. All right. You should have heard that argument when he laid everyone off. How about instead of laying me off, buy a hundred less canvases next year? Yes. Cut that canvas budget. Can we get to the main event? That's what everybody wants to hear about. Let's do it. For the WWE title... And they did another great package. And then Sami Zayn versus Roman Reigns. And did you like the way they sent Roman out first and they attributed it to the champion's prerogative? He came out first so that Sami Zayn would have to stare into the... He came out first because they knew that they could milk the fucking crowd, Sami coming out second for 10 minutes, and they did. This was great. Um, th they milked his music so the crowd would start singing. And then when they played the music, the crowd was singing that song and they sang it forever. And the crowd was ballistic, you know, from the time Sammy gets in, the, comes in the arena, gets in the ring, the introductions. Why do they have a 25 year old female ring announcer? I, I miss Howard Finkel. I even miss Gary Capetta. I miss announcers that didn't have to do this, the universal, ah! like that. They yeah. all do that now. Especially 25-year-old girls. Um, I don't have a problem with the, I mean, they're good. They're good. It doesn't sound the same. Does she need a mustache? We get Emmy Sakura. Would that make you happy? I, it would make me happier if she had a mustache, yes. And a long beard down to her crotch. Just something that a bunch of fucking old bastards smoking cigars around ringside from the athletic commission. Let's make it look like the good old days. Yeah, everyone's dressed like Burt Sugar. Yeah, Burt Randolph Sugar to do the uh, the weigh-in. But anyway, it went minutes. Fuck you, Roman, the chants and the singing. And neither guy got in a hurry, and they let the crowd do the work. And then I got a, a tickle that spread through my whole body. It started down low and then continued to grow. When they, when they locked up, the crowd popped on the lockup and booed Roman Reigns' headlock. That was what the crowds were like in the 70s. Not even just the main event. If they had ever seen the babyface before, if they'd ever seen him on TV or he'd ever appeared live, and it was the second match on the card or whatever. When they locked up, the people would cheer, and whoever took control, they would boo or cheer. And I haven't seen it in a long time, but they actually, the people of Montreal, God bless you all. And they took their time at the first because the crowd was popping on headlocks and elbows. And then Sammy hit a fucking one of his flip dives to take Roman off his feet out on the floor and the place fucking blew up. And then Roman took over as he should have. And the theme of the match again was he's abusing and 
belittling the smaller underdog babyface, and Sami Zayn can sell almost like Ricky Morton. That's and that's one that you saw not only the the body language, but the facial expressions. He looks like he's toast. When and he and he sells like a fucking crash test dummy, but not in a out of control way. But that's Zane's biggest deal as a babyface wrestler is he can sell. And Reigns is such a great heel, and he fucked with the crowd, and he taunted them and taunted Sammy and took his time, talked trash to Sammy's wife, threw him out in front of her and <laughs> toyed with him in front of her. Hey, just in general, at this point and at various other points, you didn't feel at all like they slowed it down too much? Like there was too much of the time of Roman doing the talking at various points. In the finish, I'll get to that because I'm still a bug about that in the finish when the finish takes for fucking ever and the clock's running on a referee bump or whatever. But here, no, because they were working for those people and it was a special reaction they were getting. And for those people, that was the pace. Now, I can see where it may have gotten a little either slow or we've seen it for the television viewer, but I think for the atmosphere that they were in, that kind of crowd and them being so interested in everything, you can kind of take the time to just... Roman walks around and has that look on his face, and you can see it on the big screens, even if you can't see it in the giant arena from the back row but i think it was good for the for that now if they'd been in los angeles and the people had been going okay we you know we got to make dinner late then they needed to speed up at that point i'll agree with you there um and i like the stuff with the wife because she actually had a game face on and looked like she was concerned um, she looked of, like if you had to guess if she was smartened up or not she probably is obviously she yeah. definitely is but you could lose yourself in thinking she wasn't. Exactly. So she did a good job. And and then uh, suddenly Sammy got a hope spot with a clothesline, and he started to come back and clothesline Roman over the top. And they had a fight on, on the floor, and Sammy runs over and kisses his wife, goes to the top, Roman stops him, goes for a superplex, but Sammy fights out and hits that sunset flip powerbomb and gets a two count. And then Roman will stop him again. And he gets a couple more two counts, but every, you know, it, it was, again, they put this together so wonderfully that each time Sammy had a flurry of hope, it was a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And, um, then they, they did that point where Sammy leapfrogged the spear and schoolboyed him, got a two count and Sammy Northern light steam or exploder, as they call it these days over into the turnbuckles and hit a Superman punch and a Haluva kick, and Michael Cole, do you believe in miracles? See, he's a hockey fan. But they uh, two and seven-eighths on that, and it was a big fucking pop. And the I, I wrote here, these false finishes have been great. You know Heyman was... I bet Heyman enjoys it when he can put a match together with guys that could actually do more than their three big moves, like the Brocks and the Lashleys and the, the high-impact stuff he has to do. Anyway, Roman would keep trying to go for shit, but he would 
missed something or foil himself, he speared the barricade instead of Sammy, and Sammy got him back in, hit a blue thunder bomb for a two count. But it wasn't like that Sammy was at any point manhandling Roman Reigns. He was taking advantage of situations and hitting these things, but Roman would still physically, you know, take over, impose his will, whatever. And then they crushed the first referee in the corner, old Rudy Charles. Uh, they call him his real, what is his real name? The Dan Engler. Uh, he was Rudy Charles in TNA. L great kid. But they crush him in the corner. And then Sammy hits the kick and covers Roman, but there's no referee to count. And the fans get to count three and past, you know, for him. And then Jimmy Uso appears and gives Sammy three super kicks and a splash off the top and puts Roman on top. And jumps out, second referee comes in. I'm like, okay, but one, two, two count, big pop. I'm like, okay, there's still life left in the old ginger after all. And uh, they get back in a match, and Sammy's looking good, and Uso comes back up to the apron again. Sammy nails him off, turns into a spear. Roman covers him, another two count, another big pop. There, Pat Patterson has come back. They're really pulling out all the stops. And then Roman starts slapping Sammy around and trash talking him and goes for the Superman and takes out the second referee with the Superman punch, which, by the way, there had been a little foreshadow of that when it looked like either Roman thought he was going for it or the referee thought he was going for it one time before, and they almost did it. But nevertheless, then Roman hit the Superman on Sammy and everybody was down. And this is where I start, Brian, I see what you were saying earlier, I apply it to here. Now, our first referee's been down for a while. And honestly, I thought, and would find out later on I was mistaken, that referee number one, Rudy Charles, a.k.a. Dan Engler, had been taken from ringside because he was injured. And now the second referee ran down, but he got Superman punched, so now the referee's out of the picture again. This is where reasonably the clock is ticking. Reasonably. And in most cases, if you don't get your shit done pretty quick, then people start going, oh, come on, bullshit. However, in this situation, the story has been so good. Everybody else has been so into it. They wanted to see what was happening. So this is one of those exceptions that proves the rule in that I, I I thought it was going way too slow, but the people still stuck with it. But at this point, Heyman gets a chair and gives it to Roman. But then Jay suddenly appears, Jay Uso, in the middle of the ring, in between Sammy, who's down, and Roman, who's got a chair in his hand, is going to kill him. And Roman and Jay go back and forth. Roman hands Jay the chair. Jay don't want to take it, but finally he does. And then as Roman walks over to trash talk Sammy, it's a tease by the positioning, if nothing else, and this was very well done, that he might hit Roman in the back with the chair, like Sammy did, and you heard the people coming up. And I wrote at that time, of course, one of these referees would be up by now, or another one in, but people are at least interested in this. So Roman finally takes the chair back, and Pie faces Jey Uso a couple times, like, what the fuck's the matter with you? You don't want to do what I tell you to do. And Roman, at the same time as he turns around to go back to Sammy, and Jey Uso is coming 
behind Roman from being pie-faced because he's going to bow up. Sammy runs, Roman ducks, and Sammy spears Jey Uso. And at that point, Roman grabs the chair or has the chair and hits Sammy like six fucking times across the back with the chair and then hits a spear. And that's where I was. <sighs> the first referee, Rudy Charles, AKA Dan Engler, he comes back in. He's had to have been down at ringside for 10 minutes. People been in car wrecks. They've had heart attacks and got back to their feet in quicker time. That again, nobody cared because this was so good and everybody was into it and it's Montreal. And for all the reasons we've talked about, but goddamn, they've already run another. Couldn't they have run another one at least down where it didn't call attention? The fact that this guy regained consciousness after 10 minutes at the exact wrong moment, just the little things. I'll tell you what, on that topic, keep this in mind as you finish your review. Where did Jay Uso go? Well, that's another thing. We didn't see a lot of Jay after that, did we? He just vanished. He just vanished. Where did he go? <laughs> where Where did he come from and where did he where, go? Where, oh, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and I thought I'd found true love. You met another and you was gone. We were so close to the end of the show without a singing segment, but... That's why I had to get it in. So anyway, at that point, boom, the match is over. One, two, three. Jimmy Uso then at Roman's direction gets on Sami Zayn, starts beating him up. Jay has disappeared. We still don't know what's going to... The fallout from this will be it's a fluid situation. And then suddenly, Kevin Owens' music and the other Montrealer. Montrealian? Montrealite? Quebecer. Well, what if you live in fucking Montreal and not just in... Well, I guess it's the whole That's the heart of Quebec, I guess. Well, Quebec City may argue, but Montreal. Well, it seems like Quebec City would have... Well, nevertheless, we're we're splitting hairs now. They call you a Carpentier. A carp yes, here comes a noted Carpentier Kevin Owens. And he drops Jimmy in the aisle way and he tackles Roman in the ring and he hits a stunner on him. And then here comes Jimmy and he stunners Jimmy. And he power bombs Jimmy through the desk and he gets a chair and he goes after Roman Reigns. And as Roman is down, he's got the chair. Here comes Paul Heyman from behind. They are unloading all the stops to make these people as happy as possible that Sami Zayn did not win this title, but they still saw everything they wanted to see, that Paul is going to get involved for the first time in recent memory. And he did funny comedy punches. And I'm saying, I know that's a, and I know somebody probably told him to do it. Either that or, you know, he think again, Paul and I, we share a lot of common traits, but Paul could never work. Paul Heyman could never physically work. He couldn't take bumps. His offense looked like shit. He, that's the one thing he never got about the wrestling business. And there's no shame in that. But I always went under the assumption that I should look like I'm trying as hard as I possibly can to hurt this person. 
as a manager I'm talking about, and I was ineffectual because I'm weak and he's a big professional wrestler. But I should still look like I'm trying to hit him hard. And then I get the shit kicked out of me. Paul's doing the comedy stuff like, wah, 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 wah. Nobody would really do that, even somebody that was a big pussy. So does it take the people out of the moment? Couldn't he have come with one attempted broadarm across the back like, I'll save the day, whack, and fucking Owens just do the slowly I turned, and then Paul shit himself. I'm asking you. If you're going to get Paul to be physical, I think you save it for when he would, when the wise man would absolutely have to jump in. And if he did, he would probably try with all of his might with one punch or something, not whatever those little girl punch. I hate that. I don't want to be sexist there, but no, no, little, you know, that, that is punches. sexist because girls do hit harder than he was hitting. And it wasn't like he was trying to work and couldn't. He was obviously doing the funny punches. So I guess somebody got in the locker room, got a kick out of it. I don't fucking know. But nevertheless, Owens no sold it. And dropped the chair and looked at him and booted him and gave Paul Heyman a stone cold stunner. And bless his little heart. You know, if, I'm trying. There's several times I've taken stunners over the last since it became a thing. Took some from Brandon Baxter down in Memphis and a time or two on independent shows 15 years ago or whatever. I can't drop to both knees either because I have two bad knees. And it, it requires you to, to do that or you can do like Paul did and modify it and go down to your left knee while you're still on your right foot so you can push yourself back up, which is what I would do. And that saves the shock on your knees. But then Paul stood up and started waving his arms in the air and started falling over sideways. And somewhere between three and five seconds after he had taken the stunner is when he landed on the mat and it, he didn't even make a noise. How did he fall? You know what that was? Even in that manner without making a noise on the mat. Who was Paul's favorite manager growing up? Albano? How did Albano sell? Oh, shit. Think about it. <laughs> That's exactly what Heyman did. Oh, boy. Well, boy, howdy. He's taking his bump for this decade. Paul, from me to you, I swore him off. What was it? Five years ago now. And, and you should, too. If that's what you got in you. But anyway, uh, then Kevin Owens was in the middle of the ring. Sammy was on one side. Roman was on the other side in the corners. And Kevin steps out of the way and lets Sammy charge across with the haluba kick on Roman. And Owens walks out because they still haven't hugged and kissed and rec reconciled. And it, I mean, I'm being a, a picky a picky prick about the, you know, as a wrestling finish, it would have gotten panned years ago because people would have seen through the referee being down too long and et cetera, et cetera. But as a sports entertainment finish and people accept these things now, this was fucking great. They saw everything they needed to see. Sammy was in every way protected while Roman still did not lose. Uh, but they got a good match out of it and a really good finish with a bunch of twists and turns before they did it not like when they just cheated people out of everything with Brock and Lashley 
Um, so I, I get again. That's what's been paying the bills and carrying the ball over there at the WWE, the bloodline and Sammy. And, and now that we have established that Sammy and Cody are great friends and bosom buddies and Cody was pulling for Sammy, I'm sure Sammy will return the favor and pull for Cody, won't he? Cody will get Owens and Sammy to be friends again. There you go. There you go. And we're off to we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. There you go. That was Elimination Chamber. Let me ask you a few things about the main event and the finish of the main event, because it's been somewhat controversial online, various fans with various things. Is there a fucking plane going by? I guess so, or a spy balloon. I'm not sure. But did you piss off the Chinese again? Quite about that. Any issue at all, any issue, with Sammy not going over in Montreal, considering that crowd and everything? Oh, good God, no. Because a lot of people, I mean, again, it's online and it's wrestling fans, but we're talking about reactions to things. A lot of people lost their shit over the fact that Sammy has not won this, didn't win the well, title and didn't win in Montreal. If they ever thought he was going to, then they don't know how the business works and they're insane to begin with. Uh, they weren't going to, no, in some other situation, I'm not saying they wouldn't have, they put the belt on Kofi Kingston for fuck's sake at one point, but no, not when they had the most dominant heel of modern times champion that it has been a champion for the past three years or whatever the fuck it's been and is heading toward a showdown with the guy that they have handpicked to be the big star of the entire company, not just the shows in Montreal, Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns was not going to do it. He, he wasn't going to have dinner before dinner. He wasn't going to do a job before he does job. And again, if this was the territory days, if this had been Lawler in Memphis or Dusty in Tampa or Vern in Minneapolis or whatever the case, and Montreal was the biggest city or one of the biggest cities in the territory, and you had a guy that got over like that and got that reaction, then you make the moment. And then you put the belt on the guy in the in his hometown in the big crowd when that's one of the four or five cities you run. But they're talking about the entire world. And as much as everybody does like Sammy... Fans, he's over with all the fans everywhere from Maine to Spain on a choo-choo train, but he doesn't get the same reaction in every other town he gets in Montreal, obviously. And they weren't going to screw up well over a year of planning and preparation to install the guy they want to be the top babyface for the entire world because Sammy got over in this way and has an especially hot crowd in his hometown. So that would have been a great moment in Montreal and a great memory in Montreal. And it would have screwed up the plans they have going forward for months for the entire rest of the fucking world. Does that make any sense now? There are people who think that WWE should have changed plans, called an audible, whatever it is. In recognition, I guess, for how over and how special a moment it is right now for Sammy in Montreal. Well, and those people would be idiots, and I don't want them in charge of my fucking investment accounts. Did you think they were going to do a dusty finish when the first referee went down and the second one came in? 
No, I, I the, by the dusty finish, you mean somehow Sammy wins and then it's nullified. Correct. The people what, get no. the big pop and the big celebration, and then a few minutes later, they get deflated with the news. No, because that would still re- have required Sami Zayn to pin Roman Reigns for any type of referee, one on duty, off duty, part time, whatever the case, to count three, and that wasn't ever going to happen. That can't happen. Sammy can lay on top of him all day long with no referee counting, which is what they did and what they got. But nobody will count Roman Reigns' shoulders to the mat before WrestleMania. I don't I don't know how many different ways I can say this to people. That's what they want to do for the benefit of the entire company and in front of the entire world going forward with the plans they have. And they're correct in those plans. And yes, they would have loved it if Sammy would won the belt in Montreal and the people watching at home would have got a kick out of it too. But then, where do you go from there? If you beat him right back, then the people just go, eh. And then Roman drops it to Sammy. He's already dropped it. Or drops it to Cody. He's already dropped it to Sammy. So either Cody would have to beat Sammy or Sammy would have to hold it for a fucking year. And do you honestly, does anybody think that Sami Zayn needs to be the WWF champion for a fucking year? No. So. Do you uh, think the idea of Sami and Kevin Owens versus the Usos at WrestleMania, do you think they can get there with an intriguing story as they continue things? And what do you think about the idea that all members of the bloodline could lose their belts on the same night or part of the same? Two nights, I guess. Well, in, in the same weekend or part of the same group of festivities. That does sound like, but at the same time, I don't know whether I wouldn't even be happy with, and, and Cody reuniting the former friends and, you know, and, and getting them to shake hands. That's a great idea that you just mentioned. Could it be Jimmy and Solo? against Kevin and Sammy. Because we might still not know what Jay is going to do or not do, and it doesn't have to be for the title because it's goddamn personal issue. Any disappointment at all in the way they use Jay Uso here and the way things are still up in the air with him? Well, it, it, him disappearing after... Why did he jump in the ring if he wasn't going to do anything to anybody? What was his intent, and why did he why did he get his mind changed? I mean, he got speared, but then he's gone forever. So I, I don't know. I like the involvement in that, that we didn't know what he was going to do, but then when he didn't actually do anything, I'm not sure that, and then you never saw him again. That's kind of a lazy way out, now that you put a spotlight on it. Well, that was WWE Elimination Chamber. And Jim, before we go, we have some uh, sad news to report from the world of entertainment. Richard Belzer has passed away at the age of 78. 78? Yeah. Good Lord. He was part of that original group. I mean, Chevy Chase, how old's Chevy now? He's got to be 80. No. Let me look this up. Come on. Hold on, I'll look it up right now. Why, Chad, it just seems like yesterday. But it was 48 years ago that Saturday Night Live debuted. But Richard Belzer, I would have never thought, be almost 80 years old. How old was he when 
when Hogan brain damaged him. Is is the estate going to sue Hogan for causing his death? Chevy is 79 years old. Chevy Chase is 79 years old. That's right. Fucking hell. So he was over 30 by the time he got on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, he had already been performing. and No wonder he became an old fuddy-duddy stick in the mud. One of my favorite things was they did a WWF TNT taping at the NAPTI convention in Las Vegas. I think it was that. So the audience just filled up with people they're trying to impress. It's just like their booth, except it's a live show. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure what they were going for, but Heenan's on stage with Big John Studd, and they send Ventura and Johnny Valiant into the crowd to either interview people or get them to ask Bobby Heenan a question. It goes off the rails. And Johnny V's one of those guys, I know a lot of people find him really funny. I can't even understand what he's saying half the time. <laughs> I have no idea what he's saying. I saw that WrestleMania 3 promo we did when I was a kid. That was like one of those things. I was like, man, one day I will be an adult and understand what this man is saying. Yeah, here. yeah. I have no idea what the fuck he's saying there. You're still not old enough. But it's him and Ventura. Uh, Ventura goes up to some guy and he goes, whatever, who's your favorite wrestler? And the guy goes, Richard Belza. And they immediately go to the next person because it's right after the lawsuit and everything. <laughs> I get, does everybody know what we're talking about? You know what? Is this? We should talk about it briefly just because I actually think in the lead up to WrestleMania, when people talk about all the things that came together for Vince McMahon to make it work, that ends up being one of the big things that people forget that even though it was a negative financially on Vince and Hogan, I guess, or specifically on Vince, it was part of the publicity for WrestleMania, not intentionally. Yeah, and, and in, in real time, for those of you who weren't old enough to experience it, this made every newspaper, every television news program, whatever, there was a lot of talk about it. Richard Belzer, the comedian, had a talk show, and he had Hogan and Mr. T on to promote WrestleMania, and it was the old, hey, show me a hold type of thing that you would get. Well, to be fair, Belzer was obnoxious, maybe he, coked yes. up, and he was kind of shitting on Mr. T yes. and Hogan in the business. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was about to say. Not only was he being, you know, typical Hollywood smartass, but you could also, and the reason why I know this, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again for the newer listeners, very briefly. If you get a sleeper hold or a rear naked choke or whatever the fuck put on you, the harder your blood is pumping, the quicker you're going to go out. And I found that out the hard way from when Jesse Barr ac accidentally put me to sleep when he wasn't trying one night. But um, Hogan is going to, okay, I'll give this fucking TV guy a little taste of a wrestling hold. And it's a simple front face lock. And you can tell Hogan cinched up for, it wasn't five seconds, right? As I recall, but it was a very brief time. But just a, one of those deals where you let the guy know, but apparently Belzer must have, his heart must have been pumping 700 times a minute from being in this front face lock for like three or four seconds or whatever. He fucking passed out when Hogan let go. He drops, not staggering falling like Heyman took the bump at the elimination chamber finish. He just dropped like, like all the bones had disappeared out of his body. And he just crumpled to the floor in a heap and whiplashed his head backwards and bashed the back of his head on the fucking stage floor. And you can see Hogan standing there going, what the fuck? 
And then within another couple of seconds, bells the, the blood starts pumping again. Belzer comes back to consciousness, pops up to his feet, turns to the camera and says, we'll be right back, and turns around his back to the camera, and you see this goddamn flow of blood from the back of his head running down the back of his jacket. He had busted himself open, didn't even know it, didn't remember going to sleep, woke up, pitched the brake, and was fucking confused why he had a headache. They came back from commercial, and Hogan and Mr. T are sitting there with the producer. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta remember, Hogan's like kind of playing along, even though he ends up choking this guy out, but this is kind of the beginning of us seeing the insincere Hogan apology yeah. on this thing. <laughs> Mr. T, there were no apologies. Hogan's like, you know, I put him in a hole. He wanted to see the hole. Mr. T's like, let him die. Let him, you know, he, just, yeah. he does not I give a shit. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. But this was in the buildup to WrestleMania. I mean, they were on there to promote WrestleMania. So instead of just promoting it, they beat up and almost killed the host. Yeah. This is before <laughs> they did Saturday Night Live. These two <laughs> together after this hosted Saturday Night Live. It was the perfect storm of publicity. Oh, my God. So, and... <laughs> Richard Belzer then sued and won some type of yeah. settlement. Uh, he ended up, I remember reading, he bought a house in the south of France and he named it Shea Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, now his family's going to have to file another suit because obviously that brain damage had to contribute to his death today only 48 years later. Well, now that he's dead, who knows how Hogan will tell the story? You know, I body slammed him and then he died a day <laughs> later. <and> <laughs> he's really, they really replaced <laughs> Belzer with a body double after I killed him 43 years ago. <laughs> All right. Are we done here? We are. Rest in peace, Richard Belzer. Rest in peace, Richard Belzer. And we'll see you next week. Cult of Cornette. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo
much Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, mom, don't come in. Go away, I'm watching wrestling. Go away, I'm watching wrestling. Oh, this is wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Corgi, he hasn't been relevant since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick. Or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? No. Changing the Wi-Fi password? Mom! Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Show. Elsa says I'm in the kingdom 